and welcome to Game & Watch with Aaron and James. Uh, I am Aaron. And I am James. Uh, and uh, this is a podcast where, what, what do we do? What are we doing here? What do we do? Well, we uh, we game games and we talk about them. Uh, and yeah. we also move movies and, Wait, TV, we and we... TV shows that we've been watching and talk about those too. We watch moving pictures. Uh, there is sound in some of them. Sometimes. And, uh, and we, we discuss the pictures and the sounds and how it all comes together. And that, you know what? Speaking of pictures and sounds, we've got ourselves a movie we're going to talk about today. This was a film that featured both pictures and sounds. And uh, beyond that, I'm not really comfortable <laughs> like definitively dis- saying anything else about it. There were movies and pictures, and one could argue that there is a commentary being made about moving pictures in I, this movie. But we, we can get into that, or we could not. Uh, let's get into it, because I think... So uh, I was thinking about this film. Uh, the film we're doing is, is a film called Holy Motors. Uh, we are also doing a series, uh, this being the first, of uh, your hosts, James and Aaron, uh, their favorite uh, films and games that the other has not seen. We're both fairly well seen and well gamed. Uh, so it was kind of a fun challenge to find games and movies that uh, the other had not seen. So I had not seen this before. Uh, you had and recommended it. Um, and it is a wild ride. Uh, I was thinking about this film and I was thinking uh, two things. One, uh, it is both a, a big, hefty, spicy meatball. Would you say that's that's accurate? I would say that. Yes. It's it's like it's like the the entire plate is the meatball and they've jammed it with so much spice that you could just, you know, your butthole won't feel the end of it for the rest of your natural life. Yes. Um, so we have the film. I was thinking about it on, on that angle, but on the other angle, I feel like this is a movie where we need to like either sit down and drink tea uh, and raise our pinkies while we discuss it, uh, or do peyote. I don't really know. I think or it's the maybe, latter. Maybe all of them. I I find it uh, what you just said fascinating. Um, I think it kind of gets to the core of my journey with from when I first saw this movie to how I feel about it now. And I mean, I could save that, but I, you know, details about that from when we get into that segment, yeah, but yeah. I would say that. So yeah, this is, this is one of my favorite movies in the last decade. Um, but really at the last like 25 years, not, not my favorite, um, probably in the top five. And it was a journey to get there. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I really loved it from the first time I saw it. It was a real transformative experience for me. And I would say that it is, well, it's an art house film. I mean, there's no, there's no uh, getting around that. And if that makes you scoff, probably should turn off this episode. Um, well, I listen, listen, not, let's not burn our all. I'm not talking about you turning off the episode. No, no, no. I but I like, listen, I'm going to say, if you're listening and you haven't seen this film, and maybe you're not sure if it's for you. It's a, it's a very, uh, would you say if you had to pin a genre to this, would you say that it is a surrealist art house film? Would you feel confident making that assertion? So I would say, yes, I would say that, but I would purposely use the word fantasy in it. I know that's not, it's not entirely accurate, but I like this. I like the term because it's inviting. And also there is a playful fantastical element to this movie it like when I, I feel like when people hear the term like art house movie they i mean if they're not already on board they might groan at that or they might kind of have their guard up 
and and not saying you shouldn't have your guard up for this movie, but I think this movie has a lot of fun and you can have a lot of fun with it without needing to look past the surface. Yeah, I, I would say that's true, but uh, I, I would, I would go back to uh, my point earlier, which is like, it's, it's, it is that it's all those things. It's that yeah. kind of movie. And if that's not a movie for you, and if you're not probably going to watch it, I would say still hang in there because we're going to talk about it and some wild shit happens. So yes. you're going to, you're going to want to hear that. It's really, um, it's so many wild things happen where it's going to sound like we're talking about a bunch of kind of random events out of order, but there, there's, there's a method to this movie's madness allegedly. Yeah. Well, no, there is. There's I, a structure. I, yeah, there is. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think that if you're on the opposite end or even mildly curious, if you're hearing what we're saying and you're like, wow, this sounds uh, interesting, uh, I would say stop listening. I would say go and watch it immediately. Uh, I would say I, it's not my favorite movie, uh, but I think uh, it is worth the price of admission. And the admission for me was free because uh, it's on all kinds of streaming services for free, which I was surprised by. Uh, or you can splurge and spend two ninety nine to rent it on Amazon. Uh, I would say you will get your money's worth. I appreciate you saying that. Um, you know, we didn't we didn't come up with a, a different any kind of different segments for this. But do you think that maybe I should talk about why I picked why I chose this for you? I mean, I could have picked a lot of different things. I yeah. didn't have to pick this, right? I mean, yeah. we, you, you and I have seen a lot of the same stuff, so it was it, it wasn't it wasn't incredibly difficult to pick something or to guess something you might not have seen, but you know, should we do that? Should yeah, I do that? Let's, let's do that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think the listeners love when we make decisions on the air, uh, <laughs> but I am, yeah, I'm in favor of it. I, yeah. And we can, for this series, we'll do that. We'll, uh, we'll kind of, as uh, we introduce uh, the movie, uh, the, the person who kind of picked it can give a little rationale why. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we talk about our experiences with it. And of course, uh, that'll play into that. Yeah. So why don't you tell me why you picked this uh, and then talk about kind of your experiences with it. You already dabbled uh, a bit in that. But yeah, let's hear it. So I picked this, uh, well, somewhat selfishly because I well, one of the reasons is so, so kind of selfish is that I, I've loved this movie for so long and I've been looking for a place to talk about it and a person to talk about it with. And I, I've, I've talked to people about it before. Um, but you are someone that I had not talked about it with because you hadn't seen it. And you and I have enjoyed together some pretty surreal movies. Well, David Lynch being the author of most of those. <laughs> yes. Um, and I would say this is not, I mean, I, I Mulholland Drive, it, you know, if we're going on, if we're going to actually write it all down. And go on the record with it. Mulholland Drive is my favorite movie of all time. It still is. It's yeah, it's up there for me. It's really high up there. Um, this is not Mulholland Drive. It's not as good as Mulholland Drive, but I love it nonetheless. And there is a there's an absurdist element to this that I thought that you would. I really this is the kind of movie I really wanted to hear what you had to think about it. No matter what you said. Um, even if you came out guns blazing, hating it, I think we would have had a really in exciting conversation about that. Um, it, it, it's, I, it's not something that I would have necessarily said or assumed would be fully in line with your tastes that I'm aware of, but it is certainly something that you would be more than capable of discussing oh, in yeah. a way that I crave. Yeah. I've been craving a kind of discussion <laughs> that we're going to have. 
Oh yeah. And I, I would also say, um, I, I won't say it was right at my alley, but it checked off all of my boxes for sure. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I, I think we know, we know each other well and we, we know each other's tastes. Uh, and yeah, this, this checked off a lot of boxes. Um, I, I don't think that it delivered on a lot of them. Um, mm -hmm. and we'll, we'll get to that when we talk about the film, but we will absolutely have a robust discussion. Um, and that's the thing too. I think, uh, this, this is the kind of movie where I think it'd be really fun to sit down with someone who is up for, up for this kind of thing yeah. uh, and both watch it and then just talk about it afterwards. Cause I think two people could sit down and, and watch watch it and have wildly different thoughts and opinions um, because that's that's the kind of film that it is. It's also the kind of movie that if you don't want to talk about anything, if you don't want to theorize as to what's going on, you don't really need to because it's, no. it's a roller yeah. coaster. Kind yeah, of. you don't. And it's the kind of film where uh, no matter what, you will be uh, relentlessly engaged, uh, I would say, with and only a couple minor, uh, very minor lulls. For the most part, it right. will grip you. And actually, some of those lulls are you know, upon revisiting every time. I, I, I appreciate more how I, I think they kind of weaken the movie's overall quality. I would, I mean, I would actually argue that they're intentional. I would argue that a lot of the parts of this film that on paper and even viscerally, like in terms of how I'm feeling when I'm watching it, I did not like and I was bored. And I think that was the point. It, you know, it, that might have been the point. And, there's certainly some commentary here. I think the director is trying to make about audiences and movie going. And again, if you're rolling your eyes at that, fine. But I, I will say that there are a lot of movies out there, art house usually, that try to comment on what it means to make a movie and what it means to be an audience and what it means to act. And there's also a lot of art house stuff out there that's a hodgepodge of absolute nonsense and I would say that this is this distinguishes itself from a lot of that kind of stuff. And I really do think this is a movie that stands above some of the other ones that a lot of people would roll their eyes at. And I think it's very enjoyable. I think it's worth checking out. Yeah. So uh, yeah. who who made who gifted this to the world? This was written and directed by Leos Carex. I Leos Carex. Just, just it is not it. his real name. <laughs> uh, his real name is Alex Dupont, and his. <laughs> His stage name, uh, his Hollywood name or, or French Hollywood name, whatever, is an anagram of his first name, Alex, and the name Oscar. And the name Oscar is a name that is the name of a character in this movie. Uh, and also in other movies of his, I believe. Uh, or is it, though? Or is it, though? Yeah. So this movie was released in 2012. It premiered at the Cannes Film Festival. It was very well received. Um, many said, um, and by many, I mean, uh, how I do targeted Google searching as I find people who say this, but though there has been, there have been polls of like critics and such that have called it one of the best movies of the 21st century. Um, this is the director's first movie in digital. He has gone on the record to say that he prefers film that it seems to be pretty common with a lot of, I don't know, Tarantino, Christopher Nolan, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson type fellas. Uh, notably, not David Lynch. He loves digital. He's uh, he's never going back to film it when you know when it went digital. I mean, why why bother when you can film an, or an entire film on your iPhone when you're inspired? Exactly. That seems, that seems right up his alley. The Steven and, Soderbergh method too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um. I mean, that's really all I have to say about 
the development of this movie. I mean, it's not an incredible, it's not, it's not incredibly intricate, like development or anything like that. I mean, it was just a, I, I think that there was a, there was a mention by the director that the concept had originally started because he found limousines really fascinating because yeah, limousines I, do play into this movie or a limousine does mainly i read that as well he just happened to notice limousines uh moving all over the place and he had some thoughts about limousines and how they're kind of like clunky and outdated and they interested him um and limousines feature i i don't know that they would have inspired all of this but I mean, yeah. who knows i mean there is yeah. there's the the tale in david lynch's book about how he leaned his hand on a hot red car in la and then suddenly had a vision for i forgot which part some part of maholland drive or twin peaks i forget which one it was but you know who, who knows how these these yeah, wackos get yeah, inspired exactly. yeah yeah they're, they're all sick they need to be locked away and it's funny i i used to well i guess with david lynch i still try to like solve these kinds of mysteries i really want to know like where everything came from this is a movie that i never really even after I first saw it, I don't know if I was desperately trying to solve it. Um, I, yeah, we'll, we'll yeah. get to it, but I don't really think it invites solving. Not really. And, and I get the impression that this director just doesn't, doesn't care. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Um, I, he's just, I think he was just having fun, but we'll see. We'll, 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 we'll dissect it a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess and I sort of touched on this earlier, but my my history with this movie, um, unless you have any other notes about the uh, the release of this movie. Yeah, there was nothing else I found. Just uh, very critically acclaimed. Uh, Cans loved it. Um, and uh, yeah, just the limousine thing. Yeah, not nominated for any Oscars, um, although um, I think that the lead actor should have been nominated for an Oscar. Uh, yeah, unquestionably. Um, so. Yeah, my, my history with this movie is I I, I guess I still kind of do this, but like during college, I started watching so many more movies and became very obsessed and started following Cannes Film Festival religiously. Um, and this was kind of right at the height of that, right after we got out of college, very obsessive kind of Cannes follower. And this was one of the hype movies that I desperately wanted to see. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, and then... Most of the stuff that has come out at the Cannes Film Festival, I mean, audiences often don't even see until the next year. I, I had joined the Chicago Film Festival, became a member there. I'm, I'm I guess it's, I was about to say I'm suspended. That's not what I meant to say. Like they kicked me out. Uh, no, what did I, you do? Oh man, uh-huh. yeah, I just threw popcorn a lot. Um, there. So I, I, I'm not a member right now. I think COVID a little bit to do with that. Um, but I saw it at the Chicago Film Festival later that same year. I saw it with a friend of mine and it remains one of my favorite movie going experiences. And I wouldn't say it had anything to do with the audience. And oftentimes it does. Like you just feel like you're in it together with everybody there for, for whatever the ride is. I would say that I have never, because I, I really didn't read anything about it other than it was critically acclaimed that it was weird, which, you know, as someone who loved Mulholland Drive, I'm like this is right up my alley. And I, I just remember not knowing what to expect and just having all my expectations just, or any, anything, I'm, even in the deepest parts of my brain, whatever expectations I might've held were just shattered. And I was like fully let go of everything and just became 
totally engrossed in whatever was happening. And it was a ride. Um, and then my friend and I looked at each other afterwards and we were just like, what? I can't believe what we just watched. We were just like grinning from ear to ear and just, I, I don't know what this is, but, but we both loved it. So that's, that's my history with it. Perfect. Yeah. Um, well, I uh, had never heard of this film. Uh, I looked it up uh, and I didn't want to look, you know, very much about it. And I saw on Google, the movie poster, uh, there are multiple. There is an international poster, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, I believe an American poster because the text is English. Uh, but that's the one I saw. And I will describe it. It is uh, all in yellows and browns and greens. Uh, it features uh, Eva Mendes uh, in the suit she wears in the film. That is Eva Mendes in that suit, right? Nope. Okay, I thought there were multiple people playing multiple roles. It's whoever plays that woman in that suit, uh, very, posing very seductively uh, in her like CGI. I mean, if it, if it is her, I did not know that. I, I I don't think it is her. I think another woman was credited for the role that we'll get into what like what that who that woman is. Yes, um, but it should speak to the test of the film that I was like, I think they're the same person, but I don't know. Uh, yeah. Um, and it has holy motors in fun, big, like neon letters. Uh, and it has like the best film of the year in bold letters from a critic. And uh, the Eiffel Tower is in the background. And there's this bright, like, light from a car, I think, like coming at the, the woman. And I saw that and I was like, oh boy, this is going to be a wild, fun, like, chase them up in Paris. It is, I guess, maybe a little bit, but not at all in the way that I expected. Um, so, yeah, I watched the film. Um, and I, first of all, I watched it on Pluto TV, as I mentioned. Uh, mm -hmm. It is free on a lot of streaming services. So I just talked into my, uh, you know, TV thing and said, show me Holy Motors now, please. Uh, and it popped up. So I watched it on Pluto TV. Uh, something I did not realize, because I've never watched anything on Pluto TV, uh, is that Pluto TV has commercials, uh, but unlike other services, they do not tell you when those commercials are coming. Oh, so that's unfortunate. I, I was watching this movie and three times like Grubhub commercials popped in with no introduction. Uh, and at first, the first two times, I thought it was the film. Um, and I'm like, wow, bold shift in direction here. Uh, and then quickly realized it was a Grubhub commercial. Wow. Um, but beyond that, uh, uh, beyond the Grub Hub, it made for a fun watch. Um, I appreciated a lot. I, I appreciated this film. Uh, I think many of the elements are stellar. I think the lead actor, whose name escapes me at the moment, uh, absolutely deserves best actor. Mm -hmm. uh, I did read one of the things. Denis uh, Levon. Yes. Think. Yes. One of the things that I, I was reading when I was researching the movie uh, that we didn't mention is that the director did say that uh, this actor was his first choice for the role. He yep. wrote the movie with him in mind and that any of the other actors he would have liked in the role uh, are dead. Uh, and that, you know, it, it had to be this actor uh, delivering this caliber of a performance, yep. which I completely agree that he, he nails it yep. uh, in, in every aspect uh, that we'll get to. Uh, I think the direction was very strong. Um, I think some of the shots were incredible and well composed, I thought the production values were great. I thought the sets were amazing. I thought the writing, uh, particularly in certain scenes and when he's on certain assignments, was like was very uh, stellar as well. Yeah. Um, Not a whole I, lot of dialogue in the movie. No, there. Still. Yeah, 
there there isn't but i i thought that uh there was some dialogue that that really nailed it yeah um i just think that cohesively as a whole um i think the movie has like i think the movie has way 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 less to say uh than some people think mm-hmm. i think the movie has basically one to two things to say um and that's it um and that's why i found myself like I've been thinking about it back and forth and I, I, I will rewatch it at some point, mm-hmm. but I truly think this is a film with one message um, and it reiterates on that message with slight variation again and again and again and again. Okay. Um, and I found myself getting very tired of it. Um, Interesting. Even, even though again, like everything was top notch, right? Production, mm-hmm. direction, acting. I just thought it was very tired and it had one message that I, just kind of got sick of okay let's should we talk about like those messages and what we our interpretations are at the very very end and feel like we probably should provide some context for it anyway yeah i think we'll touch on them as uh the assignments go um and then we can kind of sum them up at the end um but i uh yeah i would i would say that this is a film to me that had really only one maybe two messages just kept reiterating on them and I, by the end i was like oh, okay i'm done with this mm-hmm. um but again right. I, I i have not rewatched so okay all right let's get into it yeah yeah um <laughs> let's do it uh yeah. who uh who are we uh, are we following here we're following a man named mr oscar or it just sounds so lame when you say it in an English Miss, uh, American Monsieur, accent. Monsieur Oscar. Monsieur Oscar. Uh, Oscar. Oscar. I'm going to call him Oscar. Uh, he has a career. Can we call him, Os- Can we call him Oski? Yeah, sure. Oski. Oski the Grouch. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he is so a bit of a grouch. He is. Well, who even knows who he is? Really? Well, yeah, we'll are we, when are we actually seeing the real Oscar? That's a question that kind of hangs over the whole movie. I think we see um, him once, but let's I, go on. I do too. And I point out when you think that is. Yeah. Um, so this, this man, Oscar, has a career that appears to involve being driven to various appointments. Um, I count about nine in this movie. Um, to be, it's, it's, it's a little up in the air as to how many there actually are. But yeah, it, and yeah. and what parts of appointments like bleed yes. into others? Uh, yeah, but that yeah. So he he gets into a, a limousine and he just is he's driven to these nine appointments uh, or just these appointments in general where he in each one of them he assumes some sort of identity and plays a part. It's kind of like playing a part in a movie, but that the movie is like real life. Like yeah. it's like as if we were to walk down the street right now and you see a mailman going door to door that could be Oscar. Like yes. he's just, he's just, um, he's a mailman now and he's delivering letters and there could be nothing else to it than that. Right. I actually, what I, what I thought of uh, when I was thinking of this film is this is essentially the Wario wear of films, <laughs> uh, right? Wouldn't you say? <laughs> yes. It's, yes, it's I got, would. it's got big Wario wear energy, right? It does. Like, sometimes we're in like uh, intimate drama with a father and a daughter. Sometimes we're in this crazy, like a crazy action, uh, like CGI scene that may or may not include an orgy with a snake woman. Um, if you just wait 10 minutes, uh, the film will probably change drastically. Yeah. Based on those appointments. Yeah. 
So each time he goes uh, to a new appointment beforehand, he has like a file that tells him basically who he will be and presumably what he'll be doing. Um, but yeah, he's driven, he's driven around in a limo, uh, a big limo that stretch limo that has these this wide assortment of like prosthetics and makeup for his use to become all of these parts. And that's the movie and the movie just follows him along these appointments. And, but that's not how the movie opens. No, it's not how it starts. No. Yeah. Should we get into that? I suppose we must. I mean, we probably should. Uh, I mean, we can gloss over some of the details of this movie because I think there are certain things that are just so beyond trying, beyond trying to understand, like we could just mention them to mention them and we could linger on them if we want, but I think there's, we don't need to for some of them. I agree. Um, And going along with that, I, again, I think that's, I don't think he wants us to like, why, why, why does the sleeper's finger become a key? I don't think he wants us to ask that question. Yeah. Um, I think this movie works more uh, macro than micro. Um, And I, that's kind of how we'll approach it. I think this movie makes more sense to talk about in summation. I definitely think we should mention all the weird shit in the details uh, for those listening vicariously. But I think this is a movie that invites a kind of big picture discussion. Yeah. So the first shots of this movie are just kind of these flickerings of, uh, of a silent movie with a naked man running around and smashing things. And I'm not sure what that's supposed to mean. Um, and it cuts to a theater full of sleeping people that are watching a movie, presumably the movie, uh, the silent movie that we were just seeing. Uh, not really clear about that. Um, and I think then we start to hear the sound of, oh no, that's a little bit later. So we then it just cuts to a man um, credited as the sleeper who is actually played by the director himself who wakes up in what looks to be like a hotel motel room uh, right outside of an airport somewhere. Um, wakes up and he kind of starts looking around, sees this kind of like along the wallpaper, he finds like a secret door. And he finds a keyhole and it, it really in the wall. To well, this door. also, also very tellingly, the wallpaper is uh, a forest uh, yes. and all the trees are looming over him and it's very tightly packed together. Yes. Um, he finds this door and he looks to see a keyhole and he looks down and his middle finger is suddenly a metal key. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> There's going to be a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he opens the door uh, that leads him to the balcony of a movie theater, um, presumably the same movie theater we just saw full of all the sleeping people. And for some reason, there is a child and a big dog wandering the aisles. Yeah. Also, I don't mean, I don't know if you mentioned this, uh, but he has to like claw his way through. It unlocks. Oh, the yeah. Door, but the door is behind the wallpaper, seemingly. So he has to like break down and fight his way through the door. Yes. I'm not saying these things because I have any grand summation about them. I'm just, if you're listening and you can piece things together out of all these details, God bless. Yes. Um, And so he starts kind of watching the same movie that is being played in the theater. We hear the sound of seagulls in the sea. It's not clear if that's coming from the theater itself, if that's diegetic or not. Um, And then it's just suddenly cuts to our hero i guess you could say oscar the central figure the the central figure of this movie leaving a house in 
uh, seemingly the Paris suburbs. Right. Um, th- there's a couple things about the house that I want to talk about really yes. quickly. Uh, one, uh, what when they show the wide shot of the house, um, what does it look like to you? Hmm. I don't know if I can recall the exact shot. I mean, so, I, 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 it, was, it, was, it looked like a very modern looking house, right? It is a modern house. It's a modern house with a very prominent central, um, I don't even know, like uh, central column. Um, and then the bottom area of the house in the wide shot has a series of circular windows going along it. And the house for all the world to me looks like a boat, like a ship. Um, and there are even children on the top of the roof, which is the roof of the house, but for a ship would be the deck. Um, and they're waving and calling Oscar their dad, and there are just bikes littered everywhere. Mm-hmm. And the size of the building uh, leads you to believe that maybe it's a house, maybe it's an orphanage. The children are different ethnicities. They don't look at all like Oscar. Yep. Um, but they seem to regard him as their dad and call him as such. Um, and yeah, the house looks like a... The house looks like a ship. There's all these kids. I don't, again, I don't know what to make of any of that, but right. th- these are just things that I noticed. So for, for a while, this is where I thought we were actually seeing Oscar. And then I questioned it when I, so two things. One, I, I noticed the kids being different ethnicities, probably on my third rewatch of this movie. And I've probably done about seven, eight of these by now. I have never caught the idea that or, that, or even read that this could, that the house looks like a boat. And this is it exactly looks, why I wanted to talk yeah, to you about this movie. Yeah. It looks very, very much like a ship. I think if you go back and pause it uh, and not obviously not like a modern ship, but like an older steamship with a central column and then those circular like portholes. And then again, like why are the kids on the roof? Them being on the roof, if it were a boat, they would be on the deck. Right. Well, I mean that it certainly makes sense with the with the sounds of the sea and seagulls that we were just hearing. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, unless they were watching the lighthouse. <laughs> well, another day, <laughs> another day, and that day will come. Yeah. Um. So what happens next? Uh. So uh, Oscar's uh, co worker, assistant, driver, a driver, uh, I guess. Celine is there, uh, and she uh, clearly. There's a lot you have to just kind of assume uh, about certain relationships or things going on in the film. Yeah. It seems, uh, though it's not stated that they are they're in a working relationship. Uh, Celine drives Oscar and she tells him uh, that they have these appointments. Um, uh, so that is where the kind of thrust of the, the, the momentum of the film begins. Oscar getting in the limousine, um, Celine telling me this, these appointments and then kind of heading off. Um, Oscar does receive a phone call though. Yes. Uh, he gets a call from a man named Serge and there's a couple interesting quotes from it. Um, he, I mean, well, again, we don't hear what Serge is saying. We just hear Oscar's reaction. One line that he speaks is they're after our hide. We get the blame for their pain. And the other line is bodyguards aren't enough. We need guns. So he seems to be talking about whatever this profession is, this kind of appointment-based acting. And it's interesting and kind of funny to think that... So let's say that's what's going on. Is this something that is authorized? Like, is it something that's legal? Is it something that, like, is putting everyone in great danger? The, The idea that you would need bodyguards for a job like this is really funny. And also, as kind of there's 
talking about that, we see in a shot that the limo is being followed by a black car that follows them later in the movie, but then I think just sort of disappears later. Yeah, well, and the idea of bodyguards, that seemed bizarre to me because he does have bodyguards yeah. or at least the the character whether he's oscar or he's a character for an appointment i don't know when he leaves the house there are armed men yeah but it seems that they this profession is putting them at enough risk where they need guns i i don't i don't understand yeah and then i, I kind of touched on it but I, we don't even know pa, or pauline i'm thinking of the pauline from mario uh, <laughs> that would also be great uh celine calls him mr oscar but we don't know if this the nature of the appointments is such that he can be in the middle of a situation and he just gets up and walks away and he's off assignment and on another assignment we we don't know if this house or those kids if he's on assignment we don't know if he was oscar there and he's only oscar now in the limousine with celine like we don't we don't know the answer to any of those questions and trying to solve them would probably result in a bad movie going experience. Well, and, and that's, yeah, that's not the point. Yeah, definitely not. And it, what's interesting about this in particular though, and this was another thing that, I mean, I definitely didn't catch my first watch um, in the theater. I was just too distracted, I guess, by just how bombastically absurd this movie is. But we later see a kind of this same character, Oscar and is skinnier and thinner faced and bald which is not the character that leaves the house at the beginning of the movie. He's got a, he's a little fuller in the face. He's got a white wig. And I mean, this character kind of, it this comes back around in a ridiculous way that just blows up. And if you, it's almost like, like if you thought you were on your way to solving this movie, there's like a scene later that just is like, Nope, you have no idea what's going on. Right. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's again, not worth trying to figure out, who this is um, or if this is like actually the character of Oscar. I mean, it seems to me like this is a part that he was playing. I agree. But again, it doesn't matter really. Yeah. Uh, but let's, let's talk about the first assignment. Yes. Do you want to do it? Yeah. So we, we see Oscar uh, throughout the film um, when he's in the limousine. Um, it's almost like it's his dressing room um, where yeah. he uh, gets into character so this first character, we just see him uh, applying makeup and doing things to himself. Um, but then we see him on the street, um, uh, or no, rather, we see him hobbling with a cane um, through you know, an alley or underneath train tracks or something um, as like a hobble old woman, seemingly. Um, and then later on, we see him as that woman uh, begging on the street with a voiceover, uh, presumably in the character of the woman, um, but Oscar is giving it describing how uh she the line and it comes up later um she's worried that she's not going to die yeah um and she's she's clearly uh poor and she's a beggar very ragged homely looking um so that's assignment one yeah pretty short yeah and then it kind of quickly gets into um the second appointment which yeah appointment i'm sorry which is where my attention was, I I was, I was fully at attention here. Like, so he gets kind of this like briefcase and kind of puts on this sort of, I mean, it's not immediately clear. I think in the, in the limo that it's a motion capture suit, but he is then taken to this like massive soundstage, but notably 
before he gets there, where he kind of walks through and where he's taken doesn't look really anything like you would expect where a soundstage would be. When you picture a soundstage, I'm, I'm picturing something like in the middle of like a Hollywood type town or something like that. Yeah, this right? looks like a parking garage. Yeah. Of. I mean, he's, I think they're really, it's taken, the limo takes him to like this giant factory looking area. There's like these big buildings. And, but the way, I mean, the way the movie cuts, it's, you know, it wasn't all filmed at one location. I think they just filmed this guy, like Oscar walking through a bunch of different buildings. And, And I think purposely, so you aren't really given a full grasp on what the location is. I mean, we do see briefly He's kind of doing like walking uh, over this walkway between two buildings. And we see these two other people in motion capture suits carrying similar briefcases um, that Oscar is. So, you know, are these other people who have the same profession as him? Are these just, you know, motion capture actors? I, I don't even know. Yeah. And it like that, that was my first thought um, that these are people doing whatever it is that Oscar is doing. Uh, and later we, meet other people doing what oscar is doing yes so again maybe we don't know yeah i mean this is the part of the movie that i really started to get interested in the world like what's going on i mean not again not in a i want to solve this kind of way but just like uh what what is this world like what 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 is this profession how does it exist like what's the history behind it questions that i you know would have been okay with answers for but not necessarily answers that i needed or craved just i was really getting engrossed by this point uh this point here so i would say one of the funnier points of the movie at least for me was this really over the top dna test that allows him entry into this giant kind of very darkened sound stage he has to like pick one of his nose hairs and like put it in a machine for a dna test it's just i don't know it's, it's almost like this is like some secret, like evil organization that runs motion capture, like, uh, well, potentially pornography. <laughs> um, yeah, well, yeah. Who knows? Yeah. I, this is the part of, I agree with you. I was definitely hooked. I wanted to know about this world uh, at this point, but once I saw the nose hair DNA test um, and kind of got the idea that whatever he's doing, uh, I'm kind of, at the bottom of it all, the base level is he is an actor. Yeah. And so as I was watching it, the, the hair DNA test, I was asking like, who is this for? Is this for Oscar in the, like the, the world that he exists in? Is this for us, the audience? Like is Oscar knowingly in a movie right now? And this is, I, I couldn't determine yet what layer anything should be working on or was working on. Yeah. I don't think there is a right answer to that question, but I was definitely at this point in the film, I had questions about the world. Those questions dried up right around the middle of the film at uh-huh. one point and went away entirely. Gotcha. I, yeah. I think I might be able to point out where that happened. Uh, we'll yeah. see. Um, but yeah, I mean, this was kind of at a point where I was like, okay, well maybe he's just, this is a world where people in his profession are hired to play parts. Some parts are just being normal people. And some are just like actually doing more of like a job for what that has more of a purpose. I mean, it's possible that this had a little bit more of a purpose because he, he, he puts on this motion capture suit and he enacts this like 
acrobatic fight scene and he has these weapons and there's this kind of like director, this booming voice that we don't see the source of giving him some very minor direction. Um, and, you know, he goes from like fighting, like mime fighting with like these two like blades. And then he ends up getting a gun and going on a treadmill to, to run. And he accidentally falls because the treadmill is going too fast. And he apologizes for that. He gets up and then a door opens. And I should say throughout this very phenomenal physical acting by this actor, not yes. doing all of the stunts. But I think you can tell you can see when there is a or a guess pretty easily when there's a stunt guy, but there's there there are shots where it's very clearly him. Very impressive. Right. And this is where I really sat up and uh, paid attention to him as an actor, uh, because this also comes in contrast uh, with the old woman right beforehand, the first assignment um and or appointment and then before that when he's in the limousine he's he seems very tired he seems very weathered yep um he seems just very low energy um to borrow a phrase from our former president um (laughs) very low energy uh but then when i saw him doing these things and again you can kind of tell when there's a stuntable but he is doing a lot of this and it's so uh physically on point and capable um, and he just seems so strong and physically virile. Uh, and it's it's complete contrast with the person we've seen in these other roles before. Yeah. Um, and as the film goes on, this actor, just the range is insane. Um, yeah. I, I, I am completely flabbergasted that he was overlooked for Best Actor. Yeah. Or just, I wish he was in more movies. Maybe that could be just a yeah. choice. But yeah. this is the kind of thing where you think, I would have thought that like a an actor who primarily does cinema in, in a certain country, we people like in America be like, let's get that guy. We need him now. Like Christoph Waltz and glorious bastards or something. It's not totally equivalent to this scenario. I mean, there's obviously that was an American film, but you know, it's one of those things. I, I'm a little surprised about it, but Oh, well, definitely. What I think I just wish we could have gotten a little more of this actor in, but you know, working with good American directors. Yeah. So, um, and bringing up the physicality is important because he is about to simulate a sex scene with some unknown actress. There, there, there is a like a door opens and this woman, the woman who was kind of on the cover of the poster the, for the uh, the American the yes. American poster, um, she is wearing a motion capture suit herself, and they begin just kind of doing this little very sexual dance, and then just very clearly simulating a sex scene, but like a not a human being, not, not sex between human beings, um, no. which, no, no. which is becomes very clear because the camera eventually pans over near the end of this scene to show that they're being animated as these like snake-like dragon-esque creatures kind of just going to town on each other's nethers. Yeah. And the other thing is when this woman walks in, there's no uh, direction from the director. No one explains to them what to do. Um, They just begin doing it. And seemingly that's what they were supposed to be doing. Seemingly. Yeah. I mean, what else, we, why else would they do it? Who, who knows? I, I mean, listen, I'm in a CGI suit. You're in a CGI suit. Let's get real weird. Lick each other. And I, <laughs> bet, they could, I bet they could paint computer snakes over and us. He, yeah. There's actual licking of each other's suits. And, and yeah. you know, it's, it's a, uh, it's a ride. It's very French. Yeah. And speaking, it's, a very, it's, yeah it's, it's a very sensual scene. 
<laughs> so how would you describe the third appointment compared to this one? <laughs> um, let's talk about between appointments first. Yeah, let, let's do that. I just, you know, because I need to collect even what yeah. I how I'm even going to. Uh, go into this the third appointment is where the film like kind of flipped a switch in my brain and i was like yeah. okay um but between these appointments uh so again he's in the limo the limo gets these increasingly surreal dimensions uh as the film goes on um the limo becomes bigger and has way more things in it than yeah. a limo would have yeah um uh but between uh his appointments um he's eating his lunch uh, eating and food is a thing that comes up again as well. Yeah. Uh, but he's eating his lunch uh, and he asks Celine uh, if there is an appointment in the forest today. Um, and she says, no, not today. Uh, and he seems wistful uh, and he says he miss forests, um, which yeah. implies in the reality of the movie, I suppose, that he is limited to where he goes based on his assignments uh, is what I gathered um and that kind of plays into kind of the once that it was I, I think it was a combination for me once i heard that and then all of assignment three or appointment three it yeah. like cl it clicked something in my brain and i was like oh, i see okay i get what you're doing and then the, the rest of the movie kind of played out um but assignment three i'm sorry i keep saying assignment appointment number three uh he looks at his his folder his i, I guess dossier or yeah whatever it's, it's really over the top yeah and so uh the character he becomes for appointment three is monsieur uh merde 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 uh which merde uh which in french means shit uh and uh he looks at the file and says shit um so whether he's commenting on the nature mm -hmm. of the appointment which uh is very uh shit filled yeah. uh, or the name I, we don't know um, but so he transforms himself in the limousine um, and he applies prosthetic, uh, you know, hair, facial hair, um, nails that are really disgusting. And he puts yeah. in a contact that occludes his eye. Um, and he has really big um, rickety cricket energy from It's Always Sunny. <laughs> yes, he does. Um, honestly, I would not be surprised if this character in some way inspired rickety cricket. I wouldn't be surprised either. But yeah, he's this really disgusting, almost leprechaun looking creature. He has yep. like red hair like and facial hair is red. Leprechaun. Yeah, yeah, and he's wearing like this green corduroy suit, which made me want to set him on fire the entire time. I don't know <laughs> if you know this about me, but corduroy is a forbidden uh, fabric and or texture. That is, so I have another friend who hates it i would wear uh, yeah. like corduroy I, pants oh, around him no, and he would just no. look like he would get like physically yeah. ill looking i, I yes and i do when people wear corduroy around me i i get physically queasy and i i don't like to be around them yeah. uh the texture is too much fascinating yeah but so he transforms himself into this character and then we see him uh hobbling over to a sewer entrance uh and he uses the sewer tool to lift it up crawls down and then enters a underground sewer system with a conveyor belt of uh, similarly shabby people. Yeah. None of them look quite as cartoonish as he does, but he gets on the conveyor belt in the sewer uh, and then it cuts to a graveyard. Um, so, and he, but before we he, get to the graveyard, there's just a couple of things I wanted to mention. I think one of them I didn't include in our outline is that, so this character appeared once before 
And it's something I haven't seen. It was like a collection of short films set in Tokyo or like that are and involved Tokyo. I think the movie was just called Tokyo exclamation point directed by this director. And this was the first time that this character was created. And he got, apparently this character does similar things and that's where the character got its name. And the reason that that's more notable is because music plays as this character is kind of the limo's like pulling up and he gets out of the limo and gets into the sewer. And it, I, didn't really think of anything of it for the first couple of times I watched the movie. Then I eventually Googled it or I like tried to Shazam it or something. And it's from the original Godzilla, which makes sense because this guy is a monster and he's about to terrorize some people. Yeah. And okay. So he goes in the sewer and here's where I have to ask a, a question that may make me look very silly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> is there an underground sewer system in Paris with conveyor belts where poor people live? Now, on the face, that sounds like a ridiculous question, but cities are weird and have lots of hidden things in them. So maybe this is a real subculture that exists that we or I just don't know about. I don't know about it either. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. But so he emerges uh, from the sewers into a graveyard um, and uh, like old Parisian graveyard, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he begins to walk around and pull flowers from graves and he begins to eat them and kind of toss them in this haphazard manic way. Uh, the gravestones where he comes out, where he's picking up flowers initially, they all say, visit my website and have a URL. The URL includes the name Vogan and Mr. Vogan. I still have no idea what any of that means. Do you have, a, uh, do you have a, Mr. I haven't thought too hard about it, but Mr. Vogan is who he becomes in a later appointment. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yes. Oh, my. See, again, you see a movie like eight times and not put these things together. Yeah. So that comes up later. But so he's going around the graveyard um, and there are people um, in the graveyard. uh, He walks with a cane. And as he's walking, he's terrorizing people. He's eating the flowers. There are shocked gasps uh, as people see him. Um, And he knocks a man over with a cane um, and walks over him. And this is the point in the film too, the nature of these appointments is still unclear, but this makes it clear that whatever is happening, whatever he's doing to these people in the real world, unless they are also on appointment and they are playing roles as well. It's assault and battery. <laughs> well, but, but that's the thing. They may be on appointments right. and they may also be playing a role. So I don't know. Is he assaulting these people? Are they genuinely shocked? Is this, is everyone just playing a role in this world? It's not clear, but he comes across a photo shoot um, that is going on in the graveyard. Again, I, I think a, I think you could do a lot with um, the spaces in this film and yeah. why certain things take place in certain spaces. I think the idea, and this is just what I came up with. I don't know that at all this is what the director intended, mm-hmm. but uh, a graveyard is a place for um, solemnity and rest and respect and all of those things. And from the, the get-go, we have this disgusting urchin creature coming into the graveyard, which is like a profanity against it. Yep. He profanes it by eating the flowers. The gravestones themselves are very disgusting and perverse because they're commercialized. They have a visit my website on them. Right. Um, and then in the middle of a graveyard is a photo shoot that's going on. So all these things are things that should not happen in graveyards or should not be in graveyards or undermine what the purpose of a graveyard is. Um, and I don't know what to do with that, but that's just something that I thought of. 
Yeah. And I think, I think you could kind of examine the spaces in the film and like what's going on in them and why are people doing the things they're doing in these spaces? Um, but the graveyard really stood out to me. So uh, the photo shoot is for a model named KM, uh, like the name K and her last, we don't know her last name. It's just the letter M played by Eva Mendez. She is dressed, I believe as Artemis. Um, I think because you're right. She, because she had yes because she's dressed seemingly as a greek goddess uh, she's wearing like flowing toga kind of gown and she has uh, a quiver of little prop arrows um the 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 person shooting the photos i can't remember his name but it's something ridiculous uh he's an american photographer yeah i can't remember um, his name and he it's like henry booker or like something weird uh but it's it's like henry t booker it's something very clear and very american he notices uh this rickety cricket-esque oscar character uh at the edge of the photo shoot and he asked one of his assistants to kind of bring him over uh for a picture with ava mendez um kissing him um and he thinks it would be great he gets inspired um the assistant in uh really amateurish french kind of explains the situation to oscar um says that the the photographer wants a beauty and the beast sort of thing um so uh, this is where oscar as monsieur Merd uh bites off two of the assistant's fingers <laughs> and then storms uh the photo shoot he licks Ava Mendez's armpit staining it with blood uh and basically carries her off with yeah. him she doesn't do anything to fight back the photographer and his other assistant uh run after them not to save Ava Mendez but yep. to take their picture um and uh, another thing i noticed the cor- there's a quirk of the photographer where whatever he's looking at he says kind of the only word associated with it so as he's photographing ava mendez he keeps saying beauty beauty beautiful beauty yep. beautiful and as he's looking at and photographing monsieur Merd, he's saying weird weird you're so weird you're the weirdest thing i've ever seen weird um and as uh they're running away uh what is do you recall what he's saying he's saying something else oh um, i I don't I can't remember. remember the word, but he's also saying he's saying another word as yeah. Monsieur Murd is carrying her off. It's the same word again and again and again as he's taking the pictures. So when you when you mention kind of like the graveyard and the knocking the, the cane over, I mean this this is a continuation of a part of the movie that makes you start asking questions about the larger world that they live in. I mean, you could have been doing that before, but now you have other people more involved. Yeah, definitely. you have you have witnesses to what are potentially extremely bad crimes, yes. unless unless it's all fake, unless right. this assistant didn't have her fingers bitten off. She was playing a part or she you know? did. And that was what the part required. It, right. Uh, yeah, it could be that dark. Yeah. You know, I mean, we don't know what was in that dossier. I mean, he could have it could have said, you know, go in the sewer, come out of the sewer, go to the graveyard, walk through the graveyard, eat flowers, assault a man. Um, you know, he'll be located at this location. You'll come across a photo shoot. I mean, who knows? Well, and this movie has a really surreal relationship with violence in that we see violence happen. And then later it wasn't real or maybe it was, but it doesn't affect Oscar or like the violent it's it's almost like he's a cartoon character like he will get hurt and then in the next scene he's fine yeah and so i i i don't know if we cut back to the assistant later would she have her fingers i, I don't know <laughs> i don't know but uh he kidnaps her and takes her to the sewers 
um, where there is a litter of dead stamped out flowers waiting in this like cave. So again, like how much of this is part of the assignment? Right. Was it prepared uh, for them? Was it prepared? Did he prepare it? Does he frequently take on the role of this character? I think he does. And just based on his reaction, I mean, he was like, like, I think it's funny. It's very amusing to think of this as like someone, a part that he keeps getting asked to play because it's so odd and entertaining, but he's sick of it. Well, Hey, you just put a pin, put a pin in that. We'll, we'll talk, we'll talk about that later, Okay. but he, he takes her to the sewers and sits her down. And again, she doesn't do anything. Um, he finds a pack of cigarettes. Uh, we should note this character smokes a lot. He stole a cigarette from a character later. He takes a cigarette, uh, very noticeably the brand American spirit. Yep. Do with that what you will. Um, he, he starts smoking it. Ava Mendez takes one as well. He eats money. He, uh, he had been eating flowers. He's taking wads of money and just ripping them up as he's also smoking. Eva Mendez is sitting there, not looking at him, not reacting, not doing anything. He proceeds to eat her hair, um, ripping out a chunk of it. She just looks annoyed as that happens. Like Again, almost as if that react. was like a wig. She doesn't even yeah. react. I mean, there's no way that that would be Well, she looks, she looks mildly annoyed. And that's why I noticed it because I feel like if it was a wig, she would just sit there. And if it was her real hair, she would scream. She is somewhere in between, which makes it even odder. Um, he looks at her nipple. And then there's this scene where he puts her in essentially a burqa yeah. um, with eye slits. And I know France has had a lot of political issues with burqas and people uh, who are of the Islamic faith expressing their faith through their clothing and things like that. Yep. I know that's a hot button issue in France. I don't know if he was, I, I, I'm sure that played into it. I, I don't know what message he was sending. Um, he, it, this kind of culminates with him becoming naked and laying on her um, and their flower petals and he's sexually excited, but it's, it's very like, oddly choreographed and not in the sense that we're obviously watching a movie where an actor's being told to do things, but like we're, he's really seems like he's going through this set sequence of predetermined actions. Yes. And that, that's the thing that we see with this character kind of again and again. And it really, for me clicked when I saw him in the um, mocap suit, but yeah, uh, he's very precise Yes. Um, and you also see that when he's getting ready between appointments, yes, he knows what he's doing. He's very precise about how he puts himself together. Um, and that's appointment three. Yeah. I, I was cracking up uh, in the movie theater when I first saw this. And I think I was one of the only ones wouldn't be the first time that's happened. Um, yeah. Revisiting it. I don't laugh. Like I used to laugh at this. I mean, I think it is funny. I think it's funny in different ways when you look about it. Look, look at it because, I and mean, we'll, we'll obviously keep talking about this. But the idea that this is all, these are all people on appointments. That there's a lot of actors involved makes this less funny to me. I, it's it. I like the absurdist notion that there's the, you know, I when. 
you have real life people reacting in weird ways to absurd shit that's happening. Not, not just reacting as you would expect them to like shock, but like the perfect example is like the cameraman following him instead of trying to save the model. That to me is funny. If you think of that cameraman as just doing that because that's just what he's doing. Not because he was told to do that because he's playing a part, right? He kind of loses some of the humor behind it, which is why sometimes I I've gone and I've watched this movie looking at the characters as there's like a lot of people acting, but I've also gone and looked at this as like, nobody's acting or like, you know, he, he is just like thrust. He's one of the rare people left doing this profession and everyone else is just a witness to it. And that, I just find that the, the latter thing funnier. Yeah. I, I didn't find this movie funny at all. <laughs> I have to be honest. That's fair. Um, I, yeah. Cause I did. Yeah. I guess, I guess, I guess I clicked into the idea that either this is a world that where everyone is playing a role and everyone is on appointment and that's one way to look at it, or you are not meant to look at any of the things that happen in this film as literal whatsoever. And that they're all in service to the message that the director is trying to uh, give you. Yeah. I find either of those unsatisfying in different ways. Um, I, I like the idea that everyone in this world is on appointment at all times, always, because then it makes everything really frightening. uh, Kind of like this world is a really frightening place. If that's what's actually going on. I like the idea too. Sometimes it just depends on like, I feel like I can watch this movie in two different ways. I can watch it in that way. Or if I like want to find it funnier, I can watch it in a different way. Yeah. 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 Well, bring us to appointment four. Yeah. And this is where the movie gets really not funny at all. I mean, you would, you could argue there's really like only one other like moment in this. I think maybe it was intended to be funny. This, ironically, this is the only part I did find funny. Well, so I think it's funny in contrast to what came before it, which is why I really like, I didn't like this at first, just because it really took, like, I thought this was just going to get more and more bizarre. But this next appointment really dials it back. And I think that it actually works better now that I've seen it more times. It kind of was just like, okay, we got to like, you know, we can't, we can't top what we, what we just did. Let's kind of bring it back a little bit and show what other kind of appointments this guy would go on. Right. So he's dropped off like on the side of the road in very normal looking clothes. Uh, he gets into a red car and goes to pick up his character's daughter from a party. Uh, notably Kylie Minogue's Minogue, Kylie Minogue. Yeah. Kylie Minogue is playing at the party. Um her music is playing. The actress was there herself. The Kylie Minogue saturation in this film is also really baffling to me. Well, so, so the timing of this episode is interesting in that we're recording it at a time where there has been a wide relief release of the, this director's newest movie, Annette which is a musical written by the band Sparks. And that's in, like Sparks, the band, I mean, their music, the, the, the actual members of the band, like they're in this movie, Annette. 
And so this director clearly, when he get when he gets a idea to work with someone who performs, you know, music, he clearly really runs with it and incorporates them in multiple parts of the movie. I mean, and, that, and that's a different level not. than this. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I, I would say that this neither works or fails. I yeah, I agree. It just it's, is. it just is. Yeah. yeah. So his daughter gets into the car from this party, like some sort some apartment or something like that. And like, you know, his daughter asks about his day. He said he had appointments all day. Yeah. And uh-huh. we should say she, she's like 13. Yeah. Like middle school age girl. Yeah. And it's like, well, okay. He had appointments all day. What appointments is he talking about? Is he talking about these actual ones? Is he playing his character and talking about other appointments? I, I don't know. doesn't matter. Um, they start to argue a little bit. Um, he got like asked her about the party and how it was, and you know, thought you know he was supposed to give a friend of hers a ride, but not really. I mean, just kind of re- realistic, believable dialogue. Just you know, nothing incredibly interesting. But they do start to argue because she lies to him about what happened at the party. She said she had a good time, but then admits that she had a bad time and was sad, yeah, hiding in the bathroom. Yeah, she said like she danced with all these boys yeah. and she had a great time. But in reality, she had in the bathroom and it was her friend that was dancing with the boys. And yeah. Yeah. So I forget how it actually ends up getting to that point, but I think he's just like, you know, you're going to be punished. So he for- tells her initially uh, when he asked, why did you lie? Um, he tells her you're going to have to be punished. And then um, when she's saying, you know, hey, I, I wasn't the one dancing with the boys. I was in the bathroom. Sonia was the one dancing with the boys. I'm not popular. You know, no one likes me. And the father begins to like harangue her and say, well, of course, you're not popular. You were sitting in the bathroom yeah. and all the boys like Sonia. She's so easygoing. And why don't you be more like Sonia? Not the direction I thought the scene was going to go. I thought he was no. going to end up being super sympathetic and was just going to be, oh, oh, we're getting him playing like a really sweet dad. No. And that's what was so funny to me is like, this is horrible. Like if this was actual fatherly advice, it's it's awful and it's like it's cruel yeah culminating with what what does he say to her he says your punishment is to be you which is an absolutely traumatizing thing to say to your daughter or son or anything yeah yeah um so that's the fourth appointment right the fifth who even knows that this is an appointment yeah, or maybe this is just how he takes breaks. I let me let know. me get this out there right. Well, I'll say it after we're done. What happens in this fifth one? So the fifth appointment, uh, it we see a cut of sheet music, which says interlude in French on it. Yep. And then it cuts to uh, Oscar in a role, maybe Not- notably not apparently not in makeup i mean i think this yeah. is this is the director's raw form or like the, the actors like this yeah. is what the actor typically looks like so he's dancing around a church playing the accordion uh and he is joined by more and more accordion boys would you say would you and there's like a as? drummer and a bassist and a guitarist that appear later too yeah, yeah. and they kind of march around in formation and play a song um and then uh, it ends with him saying three twelve shit. Yeah, when he's bringing back, like the music fades out, and then he goes three or like trois deux merde, and just the music just takes off, uh, and the the final just kind of like crescendo before before the the scene ends. 
Yeah, and then it ends, and now we get appointment six. Well, before we, I'm just gonna say this. Every time I watch the movie, this is my that's my favorite part of the movie, the the the, the church scene. It's my favorite part. It makes me happy every single time I see it. It's wonderful. I've gone on YouTube and just watched that because it makes me smile. Yes, I, it is. It is totally it. like it is totally like very light, very sweet, like very kind of funny because it's they're just a bunch of accordion bros and friends with guitars and drums. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But in, uh, in terms of like kind of like the, the mood of the movie, I think that I think it gets weaker near the end. But it, so, again, like I mentioned, like the like kind of what brings the mood down a little bit with the with appointment number four with the father. It's a little bit more somber, a little bit more sad after the ridiculousness of the third appointment. And I kind of thought the movie was going to keep dialing it back. It kind of brought me back down to this like safe feeling. And then I think I'm really just referring to when I first saw it too, though. And then this fifth appointment, if you want to call it an appointment or not at the church, it just, it gets your mood right back up or at least it did for me. It just makes me, it got me like re re uh, ignited that kind of excitement in me. Yeah. And I mean, the sixth appointment is similarly like high energy, but just in a very different way. Very different way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. The, um, tell, tell us about appointment six. So the sixth appointment, um, he looks at a file and tells him his target. And it, it's a man named Theo who looks just like him, but with long hair. Yes. And it gives also tells him the weapon that he's going to be using to kill him, which is a knife. Yeah. And it's they're They're delivered almost like it's almost like clue. Uh, it's just a picture of the man's face uh, and it says the victim and then a picture of the knife and it says the weapon. Uh, it's it's very goofy. There's no other details. It's very uh, weird. I mean, if we're if, if again, if we're talking like if this is a part that he's playing and this is a scene that he's enacting. Uh, that he's acting out it's it's an assassination gone bad well at least it seems that way well well it, it, yeah no it, it, it it's tell really hard it, to describe like, what how, this actually yeah. is tell us how it goes badly so and it appears to be like at some sort of chinese factory um he finds his victim kills him well also just hanging out it's not like he's yeah. working at the factory yeah and again, this is where you're just like, okay, so you have, you might have these questions like, okay, well, well, is this the real world? You know, what, what's going on? Um, is, are, are, is, are there other people that he's coming across on appointments too? But if he's coming across somebody who looks just like him, it's, you're like, well, what the heck is going on? I mean, it could be makeup and prosthetics. And it's not the first time that he runs into somebody that looks exactly like him. Um, so yeah, he kills this guy. Just he's just hanging out, uh, and then shaves his face and head. The victims, that is, gives him a fake mustache and a necklace, and carves ident- scars on him, and exactly all in the same way to make him look exactly like himself. So now yes. the vi- you have the victim and the and the assassin look exactly alike. And as he is doing this, the allegedly dead victim stabs the assassin in the neck again i'm gonna call the assassin oscar i guess the assassin that oscar is presumably playing or yeah and then in a somewhat amusing 
funny if you're in the mood shot is then Oscar falls on the ground and they're both just laying there looking exactly alike bleeding to death and they kind of look at each other yes and 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 who knows what to make of the look um and so basically then he just I mean I'll if I can just interject I'll say this of the look of of the man who gets stabbed and again this is entirely subjective it's just me you know saying what I kind of saw um, the look on the the guy who got stabbed in my mind was kind of almost like, isn't this crazy? Or like, can you believe it? Yeah, like, can you how oh, this job? Like, oh boy. Yeah. So Oscar like starts stumbling back to the limo. And it's interesting because the way he's acting physically, and even the way that Celine gets out of the limo, because he, he, he falls down and Celine gets up and drags him to the limo. And then he's in the limo and he's totally fine again. We should mention, uh, at least me, I love this shot. Um, oh, uh, of the ramp the, with the yeah, rain? Yeah. Yep. So the uh, the shot of him going up the ramp, um, leaving this factory, it's tilted up. So the, the ramp uh, is this like large, imposing, you know, upward uh, path. Um, and then it's raining so much that water is just washing down the ramp uh, as he's trying to go up it. It's, it's really striking. It's really great. Yeah, totally agree. But yeah, so, so he... So it, I, I got suckered into this the first time I saw, it. I don't know how you felt, but I was just like, Oh man, like he was on an appointment and it actually did go wrong. I thought but, this was the end of the movie. Yeah. And, and then, then he's fine again. You're like, okay, what, what the hell? Yeah. Yeah. So he's, yeah. So he's back in the limo. He's not dead. He's fine. Uh, but he definitely needed assistance from Celia. It seemed like uh, to get back in. Um, Celine. And, or I'm sorry. What did I say? Cecilia? Celiac disease. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's just been riddled with it. Yeah. Uh, but so in the limo, which again is increasingly surreal in its proportions and the things that are in it, uh, there's another person there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't even know who he, who he is. I, I don't either. But what do they talk about? Um, so he's just kind of this is old mysterious man. He's like sitting very creepily at the very other end of the limo with, with is the limo seemingly getting longer. It's a little not. it's not fully at bananas absurd length yeah is it at this point that it has a fireplace in it like it's just yeah yeah um so so he tells you know he surprised oscar oscar's seems surprised to see him he's like you're doing a great job um he said others believe that you are getting tired of the work you're doing and this is the quote some people don't believe in what they're watching anymore presumably when they watch him Right. And he says, I miss, uh, I miss the camera or I miss the camera. I miss the days when, or he's like, I miss the days when I was aware of the cameras. Right. You know, right. The cameras and have then, gotten smaller. I, I do this with the beauty of the act. Right. And then maybe before this, the mysterious man mentioned something to the effect of, um, you know, that thieves uh, still do what they do because they know the camera's there right uh, okay <laughs> right just adding a little bit of color to what this alleged profession is I, I, who even knows but yes he says he does it for the beauty of the act i don't know if it's uh i think it's on the way to appointment number seven but um celine right is that correct like celine yeah yes. celine mentions that paris is beautiful and as he looks through the camera that shows uh, Celine's bird's eye view of driving the car, yep. uh, like Oscar doesn't even, 
when Oscar looks out the window, it's tinted. So he's not actually seeing the real Paris. Right. And when he looks out the camera, it's also a camera. He's not seeing the real Paris. Right. And then at this point, the camera turns to night vision, even further, you know, abstracting the view of Paris. Yes. Um, so Paris may be beautiful, but whatever he's looking at, it's through some kind of lens that it's not the real Paris. Right. It's like, I mean, there's, there's a lot of hints in the movie or maybe more than hints that he is growing weary of this and that, that this profession, whatever it may be, is kind of, you're not living a real life. Paris, you don't get to enjoy Paris in the same way. Um, right. Yeah. Um, you know who only has a few moments of life left? Um, the guy from earlier? Uh, I'm a banker, yeah. Yeah. Yes, the guy from earlier. So, and this is another one where it's like, it's not really clear if this is an appointment or not. But at this yeah. point, you just really don't even know. Yeah, he just sees this guy. He tells Celine to slow down and stop. He reaches into a, like a compartment that's just full of different guns. And he like he's freaking out at this point. Yeah. And this is another one of those moments where I'm like, oh man, maybe this is actually real. This isn't, you know, fake. Whatever he's about to do. But then you see what he's about to do and you're like, what the fuck is going on yeah so he leaves the limo uh and he runs over to um a group of men who are eating at a cafe um and just shoots one of them uh who's a banker uh just right in the head um in front of everyone else uh the the banker's bodyguards uh just gun him down in in the street uh, in front of everyone yep um he oscar yells very loudly aim for the crotch uh but he proceeds to get hit mainly in the chest yeah um i, I what do you think of that line i thought it was an attempt at humor um, I did almost too. like the role he was playing is like yeah aim at my crotch because my dick's so big because i just did that that's that's why i that's that's the point where i was like ah it's another appointment um, well, actually, no, yeah. I mean, the reason what the point I realized that is when you well, tell us about the banker. Um, well, I'll I don't remember the banker, actually. I remember the, the Celine part. So Celine kind of oh. runs up and uh, she Aaron. Well, why don't you tell me about the banker? Aaron. Yeah. Did I miss this? This banker is looks exactly like Oscar the first time we ever see him leaving oh. that house. Yes, 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 yeah. yes, 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 yes. It, it which is would, which would his make first sense. character, presumably. Uh, who yes. knows? Yes, which makes sense uh, that he's a banker because, and we didn't bring this up earlier, I got the impression that that role that he was playing was an arms dealer at first. Uh, but the fact that it's a banker makes sense as well because who knows who that banker is, you know, potentially giving money to. True. He may need and have bodyguards. Also, between the time that the banker left this morning and the time that he's gunned down, he seemingly did get bodyguards um, because they are there to avenge his death. Well, I mean, he was he, when he left the house at the beginning of the movie, there was a car following them. And then when he was the old, when he be, turned into the old woman, right. there were well, bodyguards he, that quite literally escorted him out of the right, car. Right, but I mean, I mean the, the character of the banker, because on the phone he mentions, you know, we may need guns. And so between this morning... I see. For the, the, the banker character, and when he's in the cafe, he apparently got bodyguards with guns. Gotcha. I see what you're saying. Right? 
Yep. Uh, but so Celine runs up and again, this is the part in the movie where I'm questioning like, okay, well, we did just see him get stabbed and he was fine. He got shot and maybe he's dead. And this is in a very public setting. And we have Celine running up and she says, you know, let me through, let me through. Um, and so watching it, I, you know, I, I don't know, is, is this real? And Celine is worried and she's concerned for him. And, but no, Celine leans down and says, Hey, uh, you know, we got to get going. We're going to be late to the next appointment. Yeah. So he's again uh, fine after being shot all these times, uh, and we cut to the next appointment uh, at which opens at a very fancy apartment building. Yes, um, Mr. Vogan, tell us about Mr. Vogan. Well, I would say this this appointment is probably my least favorite part of the whole movie. Um, it's interesting. I just think it goes on too long, or maybe even could have been cut, um, but. So he, he's essentially going to this hotel, this fancy hotel to play a man on his deathbed. Uh, he enters the hotel and goes to find a room to lie down in. And then suddenly like it just like cuts and there's like a woman at his bedside. She doesn't like magically appear, but it, it's, it's, it's weird. Like some time might've passed or something like that. Or she was waiting like, for him to get into his role. Maybe yes. it's unclear. And so she refers to him as her uncle and she's like kind of intended to keep him company as he's dying and I, I noted this that I think this is the first like moment in the movie really that the camera isn't following Oscar solely. Like there's there's no I don't think the, the camera ever cuts to show other people. Once we start seeing Oscar, the, we are always following Oscar, and we don't. There's like a because the woman gets up and the camera follows her as she goes to kind of get changed and come back to his bedside when they when they almost they're it's like they're playing it's like that's when they start to play the scene or they're continuing the scene it's not entirely clear well it's really interesting that you point that out because now that i'm thinking about it i think you're right and after this point the camera starts following other people yes yeah yeah so you know he then in in character pretends to die the woman cries and then he gets up and this is the most interesting part of the scene, I guess. He gets up and she's, he's, he's, he's I, I got to go to another appointment. And she's like, yeah, I have one too. So there are other people and they are doing scenes together. Yeah, I think their conversation is also kind of interesting while they're it. on the deathbed. Uh, from what I gathered based on their conversation, she is not related to him by blood in terms of their roles. She seemingly married his nephew who died. Uh, and now she will be the sole beneficiary of Mr. Uh, Vogan's estate, I suppose. Yeah. Um, even though she is not, I don't believe related to him. Yeah. Um, she says that, you know, I'm here. This is the moment I was waiting for. Um, you know, this is what life is about. And Mr. Vogan responds with, no, you are still alive. Um, death is only satisfying when you're the one watching it or something to that effect. Oh, yeah. Um, which I found very interesting. Yeah. Basically, like you enjoy this is a moment for you because you get to go on living. This is just the end for me. Right. Um, and he also makes the point that uh, in life, life is better than death because in life there is laughter and in death there is not. Um, and that idea of laughter before endings or before deadlines comes back. Yeah. 
but that's that. Uh, that's that appointment. Yeah. Um, so where are we now? So there's an interesting transition between this and the next. Well, I guess I don't think the next sequence is an appointment. Uh, I, yeah, I don't. I do not think so either. So we we get a shot of it. Almost kind of seems like it's from the like a camera mounted on the on the front of the limo. It seems like driving. It doesn't. It seems less like walking than driving, but it's a little weird if it's driving because it's like it's down a cobblestone path in the cemetery at night and the cemetery like the pathways the cobblestone pathways are not wide enough to accommodate a limousine i think um so maybe it's just supposed to met like represent you know a memory of of him walking down like through the cemetery or something isn't it it's very brief thought it was worth mentioning uh but it does appear to be a dream because oscar then awakens because the his limo driven by Celine crashes into another one. Yes, and then we meet a woman, presumably from Oscar's past. Uh, well, they at least they, they, that's how they they seem to have had a, a history together. Uh, Jean, or I don't know, how to, you didn't say that Jean. in French. Jean, yeah, um, who appears to also be employed by whatever agency employs Oscar. Um. This is the only time in the movie I think we actually see the real Oscar. But who knows? Yeah, I I actually think the only time we see the real Oscar uh, is when he's talking to who may be his boss in the limo. Interesting. I mean, that. Yeah. I guess you're right. I, I'm sorry. I'm thinking about when we see Oscar outside of the limo. But yeah, I mean, I think when he's talking to his boss, that is, that is real. But... And I mean, real in like every way, like that's his genuine person. Yeah. I think, I think that his relationship with Jean was real. And I think it was as both members of the agency. And I don't think it was for an appointment, but I also don't think that in any of that capacity, he was like the real Oscar. Hmm. I think an argument could be made to that. This is actually him, but it, it the, the, but the way this scene plays out works against that idea because we almost get a little muse another kind of like musical element <laughs> yeah we you want to tell us about what happens here yeah so uh kylie minogue plays john we haven't mentioned that yeah um so kylie minogue is playing uh this appointment uh is for ava grace she says she is a stewardess, uh, and she says she is living her last night. Yeah. Um, and then she refers to Oscar, and she says, uh, you know, she didn't think she'd see him again. She thought he disappeared, um, and she did not realize that he was still working uh, in whatever capacity is going on. Yeah. She says that she has 30 minutes free, and he's free as well. Um, and so they go to this abandoned department store. Um, he's still in the costume from his last appointment. She looks, um, she's wearing like a trench coat. Um, she'll change into her Ava Grace uh, costume later. Um, but she says that her partner will be here in 20 minutes. Partner, uh, Ava Grace's partner, her scene partner. I, yeah, I, I, I kind of, partner. I interpreted it as scene partner who is playing Ava Grace's lover but or something. it's unclear yeah. we get a musical number <laughs> from kylie minogue which is where the camera begins following her uh and not oscar yeah um she sings who were we 
um, uh, which uh, the week I we we you noticed this I didn't, but I guess we did get motifs of, of that song earlier in the film. Yeah, there's there's some like piano, little. There's not much music in this movie playing in the background. Um, there's not really a score, but this is a this is like a motif that appears earlier in the movie occasionally. Yeah, and as part of the song, it talks about them having a child together. Yeah, um, and. Yeah, again, it's I, I don't I don't know. I don't know what's the song. I don't know what's real. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if this song is actually indicative of any of their real history. Yep. Um, so she sings that. Um, and the last shot of her that we see is her changed into her Ava, Ava Grace uh, character. She has a black wig on uh, or she took her blonde wig off and her hair is black. She's wearing a stewardess outfit. Um, and we see her uh, standing on the very edge of the building on like the lettering on the side of the building. Yeah. Apparently this building is like a famous former like a mall or like shopping center in Paris. I don't know. Yeah. So um, we see Oscar leaving um, and we hear him kind of cry and see him running over to the limo where he kind of hilariously launches himself into it. Yeah. Um, presumably because uh, Jean uh, slash Ava Grace, uh, her body is on the ground uh, with blood everywhere, along with a man's. Also, I didn't mention as Oscar is leaving the building, we see a man ascending the steps, presumably yeah. Ava Grace's partner. They do not see each other, though. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what to make of this because the other violence we've seen has not lasted. The scene appointment people are fine after their appointments yeah but presumably oscar is extremely upset seeing ava grace slash jean dead hence why he screams and jumps in the limo but he knows that she's also part of the agency and this was for an appointment so i don't understand why he doesn't understand or realize that she is fine or if she isn't fine i don't know why he knows this and we don't yeah I guess I take back what I said about this being the only time we see him because that that reaction and what we know about her as allegedly being one of the employed by this agency that kind of goes against it being him. I mean, why would he react that way unless he was playing but, the part? Or, but is he playing the part of a person seeing Ava Grace dead? Like, if you even if you didn't know the person, if you saw True. the dead, you would freak out. True. So, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe Again, this could just be a very know. this could be a very meta part that he's playing. Right. Yeah. So he gets back into the limo, um, and Celine tells him that there's only one more appointment left. Um, she chides him for not eating again this thing with food, even though we did see him eat. Uh, but saying that he's eating and drinking, or I'm sorry, that he's drinking and he's smoking seemingly drugs. We don't know, but that she he she tells him, "You don't know what you're smoking and drinking." Which is also weird. Why wouldn't Very he? Weird. It seems like he's drinking alcohol and it seems like he's smoking marijuana or tobacco, but it doesn't seem like it's anything else. Um, but Oscar uh, drunkenly uh, asks Celine if they can dance. Um, and she very gently, but very firmly puts him off. She's not interested in Oscar that way. Um, and Oscar, uh, but she does tell Oscar that she did used to be a dancer I don't know, Celine, the person, we don't know. Mm -hmm. And he kind of cozies up to her and asks her what that was like. And if she has pictures, they are uh, distracted when a pigeon almost hits the car. Um, actually, sorry, right before that, he tells her 
that um, they need to laugh and that they really need to laugh before midnight. She keeps mentioning that it's almost midnight. Yep. A pigeon almost hits the car and they have to swerve out of the way. Um, and Oscar makes a really terrible joke um, saying like, oh, taxi man, follow that pigeon. Yeah. Um, and they both crack up hilariously. And if you ever wanted to see the brown teeth of a French woman as she full mouth laughs, you you get to have that. There you get you. Yeah. This you get movie it. has a little something for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, notably before Oscar exits the car for this final appointment, uh, we see again that silent film kind of a shot of that silent film the naked man and this time he's like pulling a rope or something like that it just cuts quickly to that then it cuts back to oscar exiting the car um so he heads home to a home almost kind of giving you that vibe like a a father going home to see his kids and he gets in the house he's kind of this this like i'm home type thing and we, we, we this is all the cameras outside of the house we don't like this isn't from oscar's perspective or anything like that um, and the uh, entire family is a bunch of chimpanzees. Yeah. And then he brings them upstairs and they gaze longingly out the window. Uh, and he tells them that their lives are about to change. And who knows what any of that means? <laughs> I don't know. I thought the movie was going to end here, uh, but no, uh, there is one, one last more. surprise for you. Oh, I, sure, I mean, at yeah. this point you might've just been exhausted. Uh, I was, I was exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. So Celine drives the limo back to a garage uh, with a big uh, neon sign uh, on it that says Holy Motors. Yes. Um, wow, the title of the movie. Oh my gosh, you were wondering the whole time. Well, here yeah, it is. when was it going to appear? I'd probably oh, given up all hope, but then, yeah. gosh golly. Um, she parks the limo next to a bunch of others. Uh, she puts on this mask, um, kind of like a Jabberwocky mask in a way. Uh, and leaves and then the limos the lights go off and the limos start talking to each other yeah and right about here i was like fuck this yeah <laughs> and i checked how much time was left and was like all right this all right over. i'll listen to this one last conversation yeah. uh and the, the gist of the conversation is the limos are talking about how they're afraid they're outdated which is a theme that is recurring i mean it seems like oscar in whatever profession he's in is worried that he's outdated um what you know the, we don't have to give much we don't have to pay that much attention to to this it's just it's it's one last oddity that the the movie has for us and then it ends yes yeah uh and that was holy motors yes so what you you did talk uh up earlier about what you think works about this movie and kind of what doesn't what 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 doesn't work um yeah. It's, it's one of those strange experiences where the individual elements are all firing on all cylinders, but as a whole, it just uh, leaves a lot to be desired for me. Um, and I think that really comes down to theming. Um, I think you can watch this movie um, and I think you can uh, kind of experience it and be like, what was that? I think you can also watch this movie and really be paying attention to every little detail and every little oddity and go to town um, analyzing like, what does that mean and why? Um, I, I, I don't think either of those are really um, what the director is going for. Yeah. I think this movie is way more meta and way simpler than it seems. Mm -hmm. 
I think really all the movie is about is that in our lives, we play roles. And what does that do to us? I think that's the movie at its core. Um, I think it has some tangential ideas. Um, I think there's definitely commentary that, that misses. Um, I think, for example, like the burqa thing, I think there's all sorts of uh, subtext about French society that we're not getting. Yeah. But I think that deep at its core, this is a movie about roles, um, why we play them, what we get out of them, what they give us and what they take away from us. Um, I think the movie does an excellent job demonstrating that Oscar is a professional. Um, he always knows exactly what he's doing. Um, even if we don't understand what rules he's playing by, um, I, uh, I definitely snapped into that when he went to the um, mocap studio, um, like seeing his physical precision, like this is very clearly an actor at the top of his game, um, especially contrasted with the like very decrepit older characters he was playing. I think that um, in the moments with Celine, um, we see the closest we get to the real Oscar. Um, I think that the movie clicked for me um, when it got to the third uh, appointment because that's kind of where we see like Oscar seemingly, he's not into this, he's doing it because he has to. And I started noticing his affect and particularly his eyes yeah. in every subsequent appointment, particularly the appointment with the, the daughter. The, um, the weariness? Not, yes, the weariness, but also just the complete lack of, in his eyes, dedication or not even dedication, just um, I think what, what, what ultimately I got out of the idea of roles and things like that is, especially if you're an actor, right? you get into acting and you get into roles because at least one of the main reasons is you are very curious about the depth of human experience and human emotion. And throughout this day, we see Oscar experience wildly different um, elements of the human experience and have to portray all these different kinds of human emotions, or at the very least, if not demonstrate them, seemingly get behind the psychology of them in order to fulfill these acts that he is asked to do. Yeah. Um, he's not getting anything back from it at this point. Right. Um, he is lost. Um, whatever it is that he finds fulfilling about these roles. Um, however, at the same time, they are also the only meaningful fulfilling part of his life because it seems like the only candid relationship he has is with Celine. Yep. Um, and even she doesn't want him uh, in that way. And so as I was watching the film and this kind of clicked, it just seemed like that every appointment was just another example of him getting to experience some wild extreme of human experience, really gaining nothing from it um, and kind of moving on. And it just kept doing that um, to the point where I was like, I get it. Like, I, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying about acting. I get what you're saying about life. Yes, we are all playing roles. Those roles both limit us, but also afford us glimpses into aspects of life or areas of human emotion that normally we wouldn't. Yeah. A healthy person should get something out of that, right? Oscar is not. Um, 
that's really what the movie was to me. And that's where I felt like it fell down mm-hmm. because I just felt like it was reiterating the same idea again and again and again in different modes. I think it had to um, in so many ways because I think it has to show you that Oscar has the chance to have a cathartic death experience with a loved one. Oscar gets to be a complete maniac and um, kind of fulfill all of his kind of deepest, most perverse fantasies. Oscar gets to be poor. Oscar gets to be rich and powerful. Oscar gets to experience all these things that most of us don't. And he seemingly doesn't care. And it doesn't, doesn't, yeah, it doesn't make him happy. No. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, that was really where I landed with the film. And even the limos at the end, right? They're talking about their roles. Like, oh, we're outdated. They're talking about what the people in them were doing that day. Yeah. Oh, this person played this role. Um, th- so that's that's kind of what I arrived at. This is only my first viewing. I think there's a lot more going on. But I think that really at its core, um, it's working on a meta level in a really clear way. Um, And I was thinking about why something like this, which does have Lynchian energy um, and does in some ways remind me of Mulholland Drive, why Mulholland Drive works so effectively for me and why this film, while I like it and I absolutely recommend it and I think it has amazing elements, I don't think it works together. And here's, here's what I arrived at. Okay. I think that when you were watching David Lynch, Two things. One, I think you are watching someone's subconscious. And I don't even think, and David Lynch has said, he's like, I don't really understand all the things that I put in my movies. They're they're just, they were there in my mind. They were in my subconscious. Yeah, this is not that. This is more at the surface. This is not. This is is someone's very conscious mind. Yeah, Um, this is is like an art. This is like quite literally an art project. I also think the key difference between um, a Lynch film and this is that in all of Lynch's films, I don't necessarily know what's going on, but I do care about the characters. Yeah. In this film, I don't know what's going on. I think I know what's going on on the meta level that the director is getting at. I don't care about the characters. Okay. Um. Yeah, and I, I think it's because this is this is a cerebral film in my mind. I don't think it is a subconscious film. Gotcha. I, I mean, so I kind of ended up landing near where you're at. Just, I mean, you got you're, you're saying all this after a first viewing. I think I was all over the place after a first viewing. And I've gone through a lot of different iterations about how I feel about it and what's going on. I think I've actually settled down to something that's pretty close to what you just said. I mean, so close that I won't really repeat much of it. I do think there's like a little bit of an added element of satire. Absolutely. Yes. Like, I mean, there's, I, I, I got from the very first time I saw it, I thought there was this, and I, that's why I found a lot of it so funny is just, it's just making fun of the commitment that actors give to roles. It's just a little ridiculous. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, the, 
and, and it's it's commenting on the weariness you feel like you, how you just can't be satisfied i mean yeah. in a way in a way it's almost just like you hear i mean this this is gets a little sad i mean you there, there's there's a lot of stories that you know, celebrities who have been open about depression and like when they're not working they're depressed or when they're working they're depressed i mean i I would imagine to be an actor it takes a lot of it takes a lot out of you i mean a lot of work that we do as humans takes a lot out of you i'm not trying to say that actors have it harder or anything like that but there's a certain level of like i feel like you do some real damage to your psyche yeah i and i think part of being an actor is inhabiting that person's psychology and their hopes and their dreams. And I think, yeah, I think that would wear on you in a really significant way. Yeah. Um, And I think even like the, the, like when you were saying that he's unsatisfied, uh, even the, the forest line, um, you know, he's, he can't go to the forest unless he is told to for a role that he takes um yeah i i um and and i totally agree with you about the difference about caring about the characters in lynch movies versus versus this i would say i don't care about this character but i I actually think that's the point yes right like would you agree with that like it like it, it's I, he is it, this movie is like purposefully isolating you as the audience i feel like it's it's it it it's it makes you almost feel like you it's like tricking you into thinking that you need to sympathize or that you need to figure out what's going on. And then it almost laughs at you by holding you at an arm's length. I mean, like, no, 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 you're not, don't, you're, you're not even gonna be able to like touch what's going on here because there's not a whole lot going on. I mean, it's, it's, it's silly. It's very, very silly. And Oscar is unknowable. The movie doesn't even know who he is. I, I, on, but, but I do think that if you asked the director, who is Oscar, if you asked him to answer these questions, he would give you a very Lynch answer, which is, I don't know. Yes. And I think, again, I think that's, I, I like, I like the meta messaging. I like that idea. Um, yeah, that when you constantly are shifting between roles and personas, you lose who you are. And even in Oscar's life, pursuing happiness outside of appointments with Jean, maybe, if that's real, yeah. that also didn't work out. Um, so he just seems to be this perpetually unhappy person. But yeah, at the center of it, I, I don't know that Oscar knows who Oscar is. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's something that some actors will just have admitted and have happened to them, right? It's like you le- you you spend so much time working and you spend so much time becoming other people that you lose a sense of self. And many people, many actors, I mean, many people in general, will live their whole lives without being or you know, being you know able to settle down and such just because of one thing or another. I mean, there there's a there's like a sadder, deeper level to this movie that I am aware of when I rewatch it and I've wanted to make sure I was aware of when we talked about it today. But I, overall, when I watch this movie, I generally feel like a happiness and a joy. And like, I do think there's some, there's more humor in it. I, I mean, maybe I'd be really curious to know if you 
a laugh more, or at least you like, you find more parts of the movie funny than the first time watching it. Uh, I don't, I know I have, um, and, and even if you don't, that's that's totally fine. I, I just this because in terms of kind of just the transition to like what I think works. I mean, I the absurdity, like the unpredictability, the humor of this movie, I think works really well. I think that up through kind of like and in, including the hitman, like the botched assassination, is top notch. But it's like a it, it kind of gets this momentum that's hard to maintain. And I mean, it, granted, that's more than half the movie. And I think that I start, it starts, the movie starts to run out of steam. And, and every time I watch it, I try to like convince myself that no, no, there's like, there's, there's more to it. I mean, there's still really interesting things that happen, but I do, as much as I love this movie, I do think it runs out of steam at a certain point, um, which is fine. And I, and I, I'm happy for the entire journey every single time. I mean, some sequences go on a few minutes too long, you know, it, it just takes the wind out of the movie's sails a little bit, but that's okay. I and mean, again, like you said, I mean, it's, 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 it's a recommendation. I still love this movie. I think I still, and maybe for the wrong reasons, I still consider this, even though I've, as I've watched it over the years, I've come down on it harder than I initially did. I mean, there, the first couple of times I saw it, I'm like, this movie is perfect. Even even if I like there were scenes where I'm like, ah, I don't love this scene as much as others. I still thought like the whole thing was just perfect. I don't think that anymore. And I haven't for some time, but it's still one of my favorites just because it's it's still so unique. Even if it even if a lot of it is like kind of at the surface, it's not really intending for you to dive a little bit deeper in it. I'm totally okay with that. It's you know, in fact, some sometimes I welcome it. It's kind of a way to kind of get that absurdist, surrealist comedy or just general absurdist surreal, like drug into my veins without having to watch a movie that begs you to ask more questions or that, you know, you know, it's, 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 it's a nice uh, thing to watch on the side from David Lynch. Cause you can always go to Mulholland drive to find oh, yeah. Android. Yeah. That, that movie will always be there to cradle you like a, like a baby. Oh yeah. And yeah, I, I think I, I like those big ideas. I, I like, that idea I just think that yeah I don't know I just I think there's like a secret x factor that kind of glues elements together and I think this had such great elements I just there for whatever reason there was something missing I I just wish that and I don't know I don't know maybe this was all like you know arrived at out of his subconscious but it had a more workmanlike quality to it than a dreamlike quality to it yes um, and that's a super subjective criticism yeah, um, I, I think i would agree with it I mean, yeah, it's very subjective but i i would agree with that and i think that the both are great i just prefer the dreamlike i agree too and i think i think the workman i think it's all to his point i think uh i don't think we're supposed to really get attached to oscar i don't think we're supposed to really know what he's like because i think that feeds into kind of the meta messaging of it um i I just yeah i think this is a great movie to think about and discuss and i think it's great to see i think it's great to see just for you know the visual treat of it and just the you know arresting nature of you know you truly never know what's going to come next but yeah um I just don't have, I guess, I guess when I think about something like Mulholland Drive, right, which is, which is surreal, which is weird, which can be, um, 
challenging to approach and get into. I always remember, you know, like Betty and, you know, the characters and just the oddball nature of them. And yeah, I can glom onto them. And I, this movie felt very alienating. Yes. Just from beginning to every part of it was alienating. Whereas Lynchian films have elements that are alienating, but generally the characters are very like down home, good people. Yeah. Um, and I think that makes the like surreal things that they come up against all the more jarring and you want to kind of see how they're going to yes. navigate them. And whereas yeah. this, yeah, I just, I didn't care. I, I didn't know how Oscar was going to navigate because I don't know what Oscar's stakes are. I don't know Oscar. So maybe, maybe you'll agree with this. Maybe not. And this, I guess we can move on and not talk about Lynch anymore after this, but I would and argue I, I, that sh- I should say it's un it's, it is unfair of us to compare them. We should totally. be judging this on its own merits, but just by the nature of the film, it, it just invites so many comparisons. Yeah. And it was my love for David Lynch that drew me yeah. to this kind of like absurdist surrealist stuff in general, I, I will say, well, I do think that one of Lynch's weakest movies is Inland Empire. And one of the reasons is be, to me is because it's alienating. It's more yes. alienating than some of his others. Even Lost Highway is less alienating. And Lost Highway is weird. Yeah, because I feel like in Lynch's films, as maybe bizarre and surreal as some of the characters are, I feel like each character is a fully formed character. Whereas here, Oscar is, the whole point of Oscar is that he's not a fully formed character. But then because of the nature of his work and the film, I don't know that anyone I'm seeing is who they say they are. Right. Yeah. Should we, um, we should get onto the categories. Yeah, I just, I I think this movie was great to talk about. And I think this movie is worth seeing because just our conversation shows what a litmus test it is. Like, I think you glommed on more to the uh, satirical, like farcical elements and the humor, yeah. which I think is there. Um, but I think what I kind of gravitated towards or what I saw was more kind of the like existential terror that this world would be. Um, and how like, this is a world where like, potentially no one knows anyone, right? Does right. Anyone, anyone, does anyone know who they are? Um, how scary of a world would that be to live in? Yeah. And I think that both of those factors exist in the film. It's just interesting that I gravitated one way, you gravitated toward, towards another. We could get, you know, two other people in here that would have gravitated towards two completely other focus points. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I'm glad we talked about it because I've, I've definitely kind of gone through, I think, all of all of these things. I've gone through both of those kinds of feelings and I feel like where I've landed is some kind of mixture between it there was certainly a time where I like was very just entirely focused on the satire yeah and I found this a fun romp it was a fun romp um uh but if this was a video game well yes 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 what what kind of game would it be you know what do you what do you have for this a lot too uh I did my first instinct was WarioWare um i did love that that and i i really haven't arrived i mean adventure game is the other easy go-to uh but i'm gonna stick with warioware i think a a warioware adaptation of this where 
you know, obviously the mechanics of the gameplay would be different for every scene and it would probably involve, you know, they wouldn't be that, sh that short, but a WarioWare like uh, experience where you're just kind of flipping through these different modes, you know, maybe the, the scene with the daughter plays out like a mass effect conversation tree. Yeah. Um, and maybe, you know, the scene with the banker is like a quick draw, you know, quick time event. And maybe the mocap sequence is more, you know, like an action game, something like that. Um, what were you thinking? It's more, that's more creative than what I was thinking. I feel like I'm going to keep sipping from the life sim well until that well oh, is good yeah. and dry. Because yeah, I feel like, I feel like the adventure game well and the life sim well are, are pretty rich for movie. It adventures. really, it really is. Cause I mean, I just think of this like a daily schedule appointments to meet, you know, you got to, your goal is to like, please your organization. You know, maybe the larger plot is that you find out the end that they're evil they're like controlling everybody like you're you know you maybe you, you're judged based on you know like a score and like you're trying to make sure that you make this organization happy you know there could be some playful like fun elements to it we have um, a boss fight with a limo uh, that'd be my dream with a sentient limo yeah which begs the question the, okay i'm sorry we're opening all kinds of cans of worms but is celine driving or is the limo driving itself does celine <laughs> know that the limo is sentient if the limos are sentient, how did they get into an accident? I, uh, I don't know. I don't. I think she's driving, and that they don't know. This is like Toy Story. They don't know the yeah. limos are. Yeah. Imagine Toy Story, but it was only limos. <laughs> Limo story. <laughs> Listen, we could still call it Toy Story, but yes, limo story. Be a very boring. <laughs> Um, we, I, I really we, didn't come okay. into that joke with anything else. No, behind I, it. I, I, I can, I can, I can, I can pull it out. Can we do? Uh, you know how like uh, bros call like their four wheelers and their like jeeps and stuff like bad boy toys. Yeah, or, like big boy toys. Could we have like a bad boy toys movie where it's just like bro like off roaders and jeeps and stuff talking to each other? I would love that about how much <laughs> they hate their owners. Yeah, yes. yeah, and they're actually all very sophisticated. <laughs> Yes, I that would be great. Yeah. Um, uh, do, do you want to live here? Do you want to live in this world? Uh, no, no, I don't. And I, I, no, no matter which way I come out of, like if, if these people, if there are actors that are real, but there's not many people are employed by this profession. There's there's too much uncertainty, and so by default, I'm going to say no. But even in the best possible version of this world, I still don't want to live in it. Oh no. Yeah. Um, yeah. And let's get to uh, let's continue our spicy food reference. Yeah. Uh, you have a little spicy meatball of your own, I hear, when it comes to what could this possibly look like as a Kingdom Hearts level? Oh, yeah. So, well, I mean, my I was more proud of my Keyblade. Ooh. All right. Uh, uh, okay. But, but, but I, I mean, I'll, I'll run through all of it. I mean, because yeah, yeah, yeah. so for in terms of a plot, I figure Organization 13 is up to no good um they're conf they're confusing as always and up to no good they would fit actually really well into the world of this movie because they are <laughs> they make actually, just yes. as little fucking sense it's true yeah um they're forcing uh poor oscar to do these appointments um mm. probably blah 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 something something maleficent i don't know sure yeah uh that's really if i were to summarize the kingdom hearts games that's probably how i would describe it I go blah 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 hearts blah 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 friendship blah 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 Melis Maleficent. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's about it. Uh, Sora and friends help him do these uh, some of these appointments, uh, but then later, upon realizing that he's kind of a you know a slave to the organization, I help him break out. 
uh, and defeat one of the organization members as the boss. You know what? A limo. That would I was I yes. almost said when you when you brought up a limo boss fight earlier, I almost said, why hasn't Nomura done that before without even thinking about the Kingdom Hearts thing? And, and here we go. Here we are. Well, also, we didn't have a limo boss fight, but we definitely had weird old timey car enemies. Yeah. In, uh, Kingdom Hearts, too. Yep. So, yeah, defeat an organization member, maybe in their their limo monster or something like that. I figured the keyhole. You know, maybe in the Holy Motors garage. I, I like the idea of it being in the limo itself, actually. Um, and then my keyblade is the Masa Mered. Ooh, oh man, that's good. It is a key adorned oh, with flowers. The keychain is uh, the key. Ch- the thing, the little end of the keychain is the mask that Celine wears at the end. Um, uh, or it has like a little miniature like Micro Machines limo at the end. Uh, okay, that's that is great. Yeah, I I'm bowing. You can't see it, but I'm I'm bowing. Yeah, I, I I'll, I'll clap. You can hear that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it's the best work t- I'm going to do on this entire podcast across the length of its run. Oh yeah. Um, we should just stop here. Okay. Uh, so yeah. in terms in terms of story, uh, there yeah, I I had essentially the same thing, right? Yep. Sora and Co. Help him out with uh, his assignments. Um, so I had the keyhole. This gets a little meta. Uh, but this kind of plays into uh, like the power of friendship thing. I'm excited. I the only twist I would add to yours is that uh, Sora and friends recognize that Oscar like there's something wrong with his heart. Uh, and maybe maybe yeah. his heart has to constantly keep changing for these roles. Um, so I'm putting the keyhole in Oscar. So I like that. Oscar, yeah. So Sora uses the key to unlock Oscar's heart, which unlocks the keyhole, um, and then maybe Oscar gets a happy ending. But uh, my keyblade is called Appointments Only. Um, like I, that's that's a very good keyblade name, though. That's right? like that's that that would totally be a keyblade name, right? So my my keyblade is named Appointments Only. So uh, the keyblade is made of different elements from each of his appointments. Uh-huh. Um, so the handle is the cane uh, that Merid has. Uh, the keychain is a key for the limo. Um, the actual like uh, like shaft part would be uh like a folder like how he gets the assignments yeah um and then the overhanging blade uh i was thinking the blade part could be the knife that he uses to uh stab theo um and then like the back part of the blade um would be why is it why am i forgetting crap all right well you can we can vamp what do you think would be a good part of the back part of the keyblade um Uh, i wasn't prepared for that um Hmm. Okay. Um, we can't really use anything from the old lady. Can you have like mo- like motion capture balls on it? Oh yeah, one big mocap ball. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that would be my keyblade. Um. I like that you and... took something from every bit of the appointments. That that see, yeah. you put more work into it than I came up with the name, and I was like, I'm done. Yeah. I, well, I mean, <laughs> I like the name. I like the concept, but um. Let's uh speaking of made up things, uh we can move on to fan fiction corner. Aaron, um, I couldn't find which doesn't exist this, which fan I know which doesn't exist this week. I searched, I did like a general Google, um, but then I I found nothing. So I went to like archive of our own. I went to another fan fiction, like dedicated fan fiction site. Yeah, nothing. 
Uh, I'm not surprised um, because, not you know, this film is a little more niche, but yeah. I am disappointed because I feel like if a film, honestly, if any film warrants fan fiction that we've covered, wouldn't you say this is like, this is it, right? Absolutely. Right? And I, I was just going to say, I desperately want fan fiction for this. Like you could do almost anything with this. Um, and you could go into like, the, what is the agency? You could, you yep. know, do your headcanon backstory. You could do backstory for Oscar. Like this is such fertile ground for fan fiction writers to like go crazy. And for people who watch the film and are interested in fan fiction, but are also annoyed by like the unanswered questions, go crazy fan fiction people. This is what it's for. Um, yep. So I, I couldn't find anything. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm not surprised you couldn't either, but we can definitely talk about what our fan fiction would be. Yes. Um, so what is an assignment that, or why do I keep saying that, appointment that you would like to see Oscar film on? I was just going to ask you the same thing. Um, admittedly, I did not prepare an actual appointment. I started thinking about it, but I never actually wrote anything down. But I liked the one of the ideas that i wrote down i I just wrote down kind of like words to trigger like a scenario and one of them was skydiving okay uh i don't know what that would actually be maybe you could help me kind of solve it but i i guess maybe my the initial thing i pictured was maybe an aerial fight in uh, skydiving or actually to make it what i think would be even funny so there's weird background to this so as a joke i have told people before that like oh i met miranda or i met like whoever i may have was dating before like oh i met them skydiving and my like, standard oh. joke my standard joke is that i met them at the parole office well, that's a good one too yeah, yeah. But, but they'd be like they, usually because it would have the follow-up question like oh that's really or just someone be like oh that's really cute you know that's that's great and i'm like no no i met them like during it <laughs> like oh yeah so like on the plane i'm like no no no, no on the way down yeah, you know, I was just next to this person and I was like, hey, your eyes are pretty. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, by, by the end of the, the, you know, the skydive, we had already planned the first date. But just during it. Yeah, just like just yeah, you're yeah. screaming at them, like trying to like go out with them while that while you're fall while you're free falling. And so I think it would be interesting to see just him on a date because we don't really get that. Right. He's not on a date with anybody. No, as an appointment. Also, I like I like the idea of him, uh, you know, like being the groom in a skydive wedding because they do those, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that would be fun. Just him like kind of on a date and they go skydiving together. That'd be pretty fun. Really quick tangent. Uh, relevant, though. I actually didn't get the vibes that you got of that. He was like hitting on Celine. I definitely did. I got to watch it again. (laughs) I got the like, I'm drunk and lonely and drunk enough to know how lonely I am. And you have a vagina. So what's going to happen? And also like, she's really the only genuine emotional relationship. I'm sure you're right. And I feel silly for not kind of catching that before. So I love your skydiving idea. Um, Here's how I would spin it. Okay. would have the appointment be he is uh, his appointment is someone who their dream is to go skydiving. Um, but once he does the jump, that's kind of where the uh, appointment ends. And I like the idea of that. He's so like over it and he's such a professional about his job that during the dive is when he changes it, like reads the dossier and changes <laughs> to his next uh, appointment. And that where he lands is like right next to it. And he just takes off the That'd uh, be great. parachute and just strolls into his next appointment. That would be, I love that. 
Um, like he's he's almost like he's skydived for so many appointments in the past. Like literally all like, everything in, yeah. is, is he's it's joyless. And it's funny it's because so boring it's, to him. he wants to go back to the forest, but he can't. Yeah, he can't. Maybe he you just skydived. have a nice little fan fiction on him getting a forest appointment where he's just bird watching and then he's at peace and happy. I like that too. Would you like to hear mine? Yes. All right. For mine, I went big. Um, for mine, Oscar has the appointment of a lifetime. Um, this is appointment that expands the multiverse. Oh no. Um, Oscar needs to team up with who else but Sonic Tails and Knuckles. Yes. And Sora, Donald, and Goofy um, to stop Maleficent. Uh, Maleficent uh, Zed from the power rangers okay um and and shredder um from corrupting the heart of the multiverse naturally um and letting organization 13 rule the universe that is really tame (laughs) (laughs) but here's the thing did anything in this film suggest that that isn't something that could happen no it could 100 percent happen yes yes thank you Uh, yeah no you're you're right on point with that I love it. Thank you for um, making my life better with that. Really, and yeah. more. And one thing that if, if we want people to take away anything from this show is that there needs to be more tales, and I mean tales, the Sonic character in oh, yeah. fan fiction. Well, did I did I leave out Shadow though? Because Shadow has to be a villain. Shadow has to be on the evil team. No, and big the ha- cat. Um, we got Big the Cat, but I feel like Shadow has to be one of the central characters. Okay. And I feel like most of the fan fiction actually ignores Oscar and is about Shadow's existential angst. I think the question that every all the listeners are asking right now, even people who have not played Kingdom Hearts, is is Riku in it? And is he kind of going through like that, you know, a little tantrum yeah. that he okay. usually does? That's a, that's a great question. Um, let's split the difference. There are nine replica Rikus, each one of them in a different emotional state. Jesus. <laughs> so we can get wow. all of it. Well, to all the listeners that called in live and asked what where Rico Riku was, there's your answer. Yes. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh that was Holy Motors. That was Holy oh, Motors. Wow. And the, the yeah. And I uh now I'm just thinking you. about how disastrous the Riku that would be if that was in a Kingdom Hearts game. Like you honestly, I hope I hope Nomura never even hears this because he's gonna get ideas. I mean, how many replica Rikus are there even? I don't even know. I don't know. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for suggesting this. I am really glad I watched it. Um, I will watch it again. Um, I think I just got caught very much in the meta uh, of it. Um, but I definitely want to see it again because I think there, there are just so many details to this yeah. and so many little things that you can kind of, uh, pay attention to and kind of, uh, latch onto. Yeah. And I would really like to do that, uh, for another go around. Thank you for watching it. I'm, I'm, I've been really thrilled talking about it and hearing your reaction to it. And I, and I really like it. Would, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if you came out feeling the same way next time. And I'm sure I'm sure you'll have different things to say about it in general, seeing it again as it as it usually you know happens on rewatching movies. But you know, I I, I think where you end up landing on it is absolutely fair and reasonable. I mean, I, I certainly ended up there too. So yeah, and it's the kind of movie where we haven't discussed this, but I would almost be willing to do um, like a take two episode where uh, mm. I I just watch it again. We both watch it fresh, and we don't talk about the plot. We just talk about our impressions on another viewing, 
Um, it would be probably a short episode, like 20 yeah. minutes. I, but I, would, I, I really, I really I like think, that idea. Yeah. And I mean, if listeners in the listener world, if that's at all appealing to you, like, let us know. Um, and if not, let us know. Um, but I really think this is the kind of movie that would warrant that treatment. I think it's it would it would be worth our time. It would be worth the audience's time to just take to focusing on different things. Like what what did you notice? What did you see uh, on, a, on a take two of this film? Yeah. And I think immediately we should just schedule the one for uh, Event Horizon. <laughs> I would do that. <laughs> we just for um, the entire time we just talk about what happened on that video. <laughs> yes. Uh, I would do that for 20 minutes on a podcast. I would too. And I don't think yeah, that the explicit yeah. uh, icon really captures how explicit that episode would get. Oh, no. Yeah. I totally uh, but explicit. when you're not watching Event Horizon, uh, or when, I'm sorry, when you haven't been watching Event Horizon, as I know you do daily, uh, what uh, what else have you been watching, playing, and or and they're doing with well, your time? I'm, you know, it's, it's me, so I'm continuing to watch One Piece and play Binding of Isaac. Uh, I am debating getting on the monster train yeah i've i've someone told me that that, that was a good game so, was it you did you tell yourself that it was me i told myself that and then told anyone <laughs> who would listen yeah i i think i don't remember where uh, what i was doing at the time i got that text from you but it was like not a text i was expecting and i have not stopped thinking about it and then i realized that watch out for fireballs did an episode on it and so i feel like i gotta listen to a little bit of that without spoiling much for myself because i do i know they both liked it and i those guys we have a lot of overlapping tastes yeah and it it's the kind of game where, I mean, there's really no story. It's like Dead Cells or like Isaac or like, you know, any roguelike. I mean, there yeah. is a story, but it's pretty bare bones. Um, I think you could definitely listen to that episode. Also, shout out to Watch Out for Fireballs. Uh, great podcast. You Seriously. should listen to it. Yep. Um, but uh, I think you can listen to that episode and they'll give you a really good breakdown of like the gameplay. Um, they go into like what, you know, the game has clans of different, you know, cards and things like that. They go into yeah. each clan and the champions. If I were you, I would just skip that. Okay, um, because that gets into you know that's the kind of that's the part of the game that could be spoiled to me it's like because you know it's different gameplay mechanics but i think you could definitely listen to the intro and if it sounds like a game that would be fun to you um i really really recommend it i've been playing a ton of monster train i recommend it to everyone um it's really fast it's really um it keeps you like thinking on your toes you're constantly making like difficult choices which is always fun in a roguelike yeah um they in that podcast uh kept mentioning slay the spire which i'd heard of yeah um, is another other roguelike i, I watched also, a lot of gameplay of that it looks it looks fun yeah it is i downloaded it for both switch and ios this week because i have problems um yeah. but uh slay the spire is a great roguelike uh but i think it's great for ios okay uh, i think especially coming from uh monster train which is uh much mechanically richer slay the spire is good but it's really um watered down and it's a really like simplified roguelike with really mm -hmm. simplified um like rpg and those kind of mechanics um i think slay the spire owns on ios like i'm playing on my phone non-stop like okay free time um, I think on a console or PC, I would not recommend it just because, again, it's really bare bones, um, hmm. especially compared to something like Monster Train. So I've been doing that. Uh, I've also been um, reading a lot about writing. Um, I've oh, bought yeah? like three books about writing um, and have been reading those. I've been toying with the idea of uh, like writing a novel. <laughs> ah, maybe. Um, so I've been reading a lot of those um, and those are interesting. 
Um, I, I have to keep them out of my brain though uh, when I watch things because I hate like metagaming uh, books and shows and things like that of like, yeah. well, this character did this because the writers needed to get X, Y, and Z done. Yeah. Um, but my brain has kind of been in that mode lately. So hmm. yeah, just uh, just that. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think we also talked about how we both watched uh, Suicide Squad. Yeah, we did. Yeah, I'm glad you reminded me. Yeah, we did both watch Suicide Squad. Um, I liked it. Um, I did too. I, I liked it. I wasn't as crazy about it as other people. Um, Same, but I, I, I did good, like, but not great. I thought it definitely suffered from um, too much Harley Quinn. I felt that her uh, subplot just—I liked what happened as a result of it, but I just thought it was—it went on too long. Yeah. I think that uh, maybe James Gunn, but also maybe like the studio. I just don't resonate with Harley Quinn as a character as much as I guess a lot of other people do. I, like, I, I don't either. I mean, I, I think, like Margot I Robbie. Fun. Yeah, I like Margot Robbie. I think that character is fun. Yeah. I just think they gave her a little bit too much in Suicide Squad. Uh, but other than that, uh, I thought it was I thought it was funny. I thought it was yeah, it's uh, very funny. I thought John Cena is killing it. Like we need more John Cena in movies for sure. Agreed. I also thought Joel Kinnaman was a, an actor I never really paid too much attention to. I haven't seen like The Killing or anything that he's like more famous for, but I thought he did a phenomenal job. He was great. He was great. Um, and I have no idea why this just popped in my head, but uh, we need to do a Green Knight episode and yes. desperately. Yes, we uh, Because I thought there was overlap. For some reason, I thought Joel Edgerton was also in Suicide Squad. He's not, right? He's, he's only in the Green Knight. Correct. Yep, and I would love to do a Green Knight episode. We can do that as kind of like one of the most recent movies. Well, I guess St. Maude was pretty recent, but... Yeah, I think once that hits streaming, like maybe look for that around like the turn of the year, probably. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah, absolutely. But So yeah, so... Sorry, You've taken ahead. enough of your time. I think, yeah, I, yeah, I would say so. Um, this was the first uh, of a string of four episodes that we're going to be doing, um, sharing games and movies with each other. And then I couldn't be more excited to, to do the next one. Should we spoil yeah, it? Let's spoil it so people can get uh, get pumped for it. It's a big one. Oh, it's a big one. Uh, Aaron, in, uh, well, I wouldn't say introduce me, but there's a game that I spent a long, long, long part of my life, all of it, not playing. And it's a game that I just, you know, can't believe I hadn't played it. And what better reason to play it than to talk about it with you? If you like boys with spiky hair and uh, Akira Toriyama art and time travel, you will love our episode next time on Chrono Trigger. Yes. And uh, Um, not Dragon Ball the game. No. No. Um, Also, I feel like it's a really niche game that not many people have talked about. So I feel like we could really just be very general about it. And I feel like no one has made the points that we're going to make. I don't think anybody has really even played it before. No. Yeah. No. no. So I'm really excited to introduce the world to it. Yeah. (laughs) If one thing comes out of this podcast, people anywhere having heard of chrono trigger then that's my legacy and i'm happy yeah everyone's gonna find out from us yeah yeah Yeah. well Uh, Aaron, it was a pleasure always a pleasure james um and you all out there uh in radio land thanks for listening thank you